0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
2: At Dr. Matt Show.
3: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
3: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio.
4: Happy Friday morning to you all. Welcome to the program. Top of the morning to you. Dr. Matt here, your life coach. Your guide on the side. You made it. Another Friday. (sighs) Ah. Now you can get ready to get to get out to the yard, get all your yard work done, go down to the taco truck on the every corner, get yourself some tacos. According to one of Trump's backers, if they don't do uh, this immigration thing right, there will be a taco truck on every corner, which is not that,
5: a bad thing.
6: I don't think that's bad. <laughs> Who doesn't love tacos? Anyway, we will get to uh, I think they're a little, heavenly they're a heavenly fruit, fruit. Mm.
4: I didn't know tacos were fruits.
6: I just think they are. Well, you yeah. have tomatoes in them. Tomatoes are fruit. De- had- debating facts. You have cheese. Debating facts in this presidential cycle is irrelevant. Tacos they- are fruit. Yeah. Yeah, facts. Facts, but- they don't matter anymore. They're not what they used to be in this in this one. Mm-hmm.
4: <sighs> Holy cow. Hillary Clinton... Uh, She's on the money-raising trail. Holy cow. Double the money that she made in August, Mm -hmm. or, yeah, the month before, she made this last month. Can you believe that? What is the deal? Something. It's like she hasn't done anything but raise money all month.
6: She needs the money to uh, to finish off the campaign, and she's letting Trump just go ahead and do what he does. Well, hold it. She hasn't done anything but
5: raise money. That's
6: Well, that's great. I guess that's all you have to do
4: if you're... You know, you don't have to give a press conference.
6: And Donald just is going to, you know, hurt himself. So just stay out of his way. Yeah. I mean, why why go on TV and add anything to anyone's argument when you can just let him talk and (laughs) just you raise money so you can hit him with ads later down the road? Holy cow. It's a crazy time. We'll get into uh,
4: some of the political news and the latest and the greatest uh, coming, really, I guess, from both camps. If there's such a thing. Plus, um, today we will be talking about how how come this is all going down? How does, for example, a Donald Trump even come to be? We can blame Trump. Everyone gets so mad at Trump or we could even blame Hillary Clinton. Everyone's so frustrated with your choices, except uh, the problem may very well just be what's going on with the voter. And we will have a, a wonderful um, academic with us to talk about it. To talk about, you know, how, for example, a Stalin, a Hitler, how did they all come to be? We can blame Stalin and Hitler and the culture was right. Is our culture right for choosing a a really unhealthy president? We'll be talking about it. Stick with us on that subject. But first let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headline. Sadie, what's up?
7: A day after he delivered two very different messages about immigration to two very different audiences, Donald Trump admitted in an interview with the conservative radio host that there has been a softening of his stance on the issue. Oh, there's a softening, Trump said. Look, we, do it, we will do it in a very humane way, and we're going to see with the people in the country. Last week in an interview with Anderson Cooper on CNN, Trump insisted of his evolving message. I don't think it's a softening. In fact, he added, I've had some people say it's a hardening. Some Hispanic leaders who have been advising Donald Trump to say they feel betrayed after his long-awaited immigration speech that definitely ruled out a pathway to legal status for people living in the country illegally. The language caught off a guard... A caught off guard a group of Hispanic faith and business leaders who have been advising him, often in the face of criticism from their own communities. In closed-door meetings, phone calls, and in public statements, Trump and his aides have given many the impression that he was prepared to soften his stance on immigration and boost his standing with Hispanics and other minorities. The State Department is set to release to the Associated Press the full schedule from Hillary Clinton's tenure as a secretary. According to the AP, the agency will hand over the detailed planning agenda by mid-October before the general election. The Democratic presidential nominee's meetings during her secretaryship have come under recent scrutiny after the AP found that a majority of those with whom she met during her tenure also donated to her family's charitable foundation. And finally, yes, police in Missouri created a real-life pig in a blanket as they attempted to capture a piglet wandering on a busy street. Maryland Heights Police Department shared a photo of the piglet wrapped in a yellow blanket along with the rescuing officer and the woman who spotted the piglet while driving to work. Uh, The police determined the pig was an escaped pet from a nearby home and it was taken to a vet to be treated for road rash before being returned home.
4: It was super cute. I love pigs in a blanket.
7: I'll have to go ahead and post that picture on Twitter because it was a really cute little pig in a blanket.
4: Did they put ketchup on him? Not yet. Not, not yet. Yeah. To be determined. Well done, Sadie. Oh, the old pigs in a blanket. I never envisioned the blanket being so, yellow. So
8: we are pigs. Pigs in the
9: blanket, yeah? 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 So this is funny then, yeah? Yeah, yeah. This is
7: funny. Yeah. yeah.
6: Yep. <laughs> Isn't that you just decide to have hot dogs one night and you forgot the buns, so you just use a loaf of bread? Isn't that what that well, really comes down? That's a hot down? dog. Pig in a blanket would be more like it's wrapped carefully, lovingly in a doughy mm. wrap. Some Not more, uh, intended rather than I forgot the bun, so it just grabbed a loaf of bread.
4: Yeah. Is okay. that what your mom did your mom call it when she put it in a piece of bread, a pig in a blanket? Yeah.
6: So yeah. I, I think they uh, they she, lied to me. She baby did you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did but, you put ketchup
10: and relish and mustard on in your pigs in a blanket? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there any other way to have a pig in a
6: blanket? Well there's some parts of this country that if you put ketchup On a hot dog, you have somehow wronged society, and you should pay for it.
11: It should
6: be mustard only. Only. Yeah. Well, they need to lighten up. (laughs) It's just just a hot dog. (laughs) Relax. You've wronged them. Nobody died. It's like eating pizza with a fork. There's some places you just don't want to show your face.
4: Did you see NASA's pictures of the hurricanes lining up? Yes. Unbelievable.
6: It makes you want to be an astronaut. Well, it's nice that they're orderly. Yeah, it's nice that they're... Yeah, just line them up. They're, line they're, up next. It's like, it's like there's someone out there doing some uh, traffic control, watching the airplanes land, and the Beautiful. hurricanes poor, just line
4: right up. Poor Florida. Hasn't had a hurricane since the 80s, I guess, and now it's... 2005. 2005. Oh, was it 2005?
6: Yeah, but at the time, they were saying that um, since then, we're going to have four or five of these massive storms every year, and yeah. they haven't had one since 2005. They lucked out. Or did they And now this one's just barely creeping yeah. into hurricane status
4: my assistant just traveled
6: to uh South Carolina mm.
4: and I guess
10: the weather's not great.
6: <laughs> she just got there, yeah,
10: well, she oh. got there yesterday, so that's great
6: yeah she's gonna luckily it's
10: the hurricane season and inside <laughs> hurricane hermione isn't that what it is,
4: is that yeah hermione Hermione, yeah. but it seems like they're spelling it wrong it's like hermine I don't know. Hey, Zika spraying, uh,
6: they're killing all these honeybees now. Yeah, I saw that people with handfuls of Have they not bee seen
4: the, mo- the bee movie? The the bee movie? The movie, the bee movie. What's that? Jerry About, Seinfeld? Yeah. We need our bees. And so Zika now is another, Zika sprays are another thing that's harming our bee's population, which means eventually no honey, which means eventually no pollination. We will all die. So... Fear Zika, but you're going to die anyway. On that positive note. (laughs) Not to be negative. Taco trucks? Taco trucks. Speaking of negative, um, Donald Trump, uh, (laughs) first he's softening, then he's not softening on his immigration, then he's softening, then he's not softening. So let's get the final word on. Allegedly. uh, Yeah, up to now, if, if Donald is softening or not.
2: Oh, there's softening. Look, we do it in a very humane way, and we're going to see with
4: the people that are in the country. Obviously, I want to get the gang members out, the drug peddlers out. I want to get the drug dealers out. We we get a lot of people in this country that you can't have, and those people will get out. And then we're going to make a decision at a later date once everything is stabilized. I think you're going to see there's really quite a bit
1: of softening.
4: A, a, quite a bit of soft, softening, a, a huge amount of softening.
6: Right. But they want to do it in a humane way. One of the things that uh, in, in Sadie's news report, they talked about Latino leaders who were consulting with Donald Trump as they were talking about these different issues. They thought that the uh, talking with the Trump campaign, that they were moving in a direction with some sort of plan that wouldn't be as, as harsh as Trump had been. Uh, alluding to, I guess, yeah. all the time through the primaries and the whole deportation force. They said that was just uh, trying to describe a mechanism of enforcement, not necessarily a you like know stormtroopers like stormtroopers coming in to, to, to send people back. So they, that was just language. The people will not dress like stormtroopers. They'll yeah. dress like flower children. Well, then Trump shows up in Arizona and says he's going to triple, triple, quadruple, have whatever a, yeah. the ICE agents and we're going to have a deportation force. And they're mm-hmm. all like, wait, we just talked Hold about I we were. Huh. All right. So that's why the Latino leaders are now turning away from Trump in that way because they felt like there was a bait and switch that happened.
4: Well, and the idea he just said is we don't want the drug dealers, we don't want the criminals, we don't want the rapists because so we're going to we'll be hard on them, I guess. Right. But soft on everyone else. But what about the taco truck drivers that were alluded <laughs> to by one of um Trump's you know supporters? Supporters
6: marco gutierrez this is his comment i think on the today show he's the uh the founder of a group called latinos for trump
0: what, what problems are you talking about
9: my culture is a very dominant culture and it's imposing and it's causing problems if you don't do something about it you're gonna have taco trucks every corner wait a minute you, wait a minute wait
0: a minute i'm sorry uh hold on a second i don't, know. I, I don't I, even I, know what that means and i'm almost I, afraid to ask
6: yeah taco trucks every corner which i think is a great idea and most of the comments, you know, Facebook and stuff, people making kind of light of the fact that that would be great. Seriously great. Get a little variety in your tacos and I don't know. It's Put it, ketchup it, on your tacos. I think what he's saying is that the uh, the culture in his mind would enter the country and then just take over. Yeah. And become the dominant culture. And he goes, you don't want that here. I'm like, oh. Okay. I don't know if that would actually happen. There's no proof that would happen. Well, well, yeah, we'd still, we'd just,
4: would still have, I mean, I guess we would, we'd all benefit from more culture. And apparently taco trucks. More tacos. Mm -hmm.
6: Who, who says no to a taco truck?
4: Really? I mean, really. In fact, tonight I'm going to a party where they're having a taco truck. There you go. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I guess that's the point you make. That we're going to be invaded, not by drug dealers anymore, or, you know, people, it's not about crime anymore, it's about t- taco trucks? Yeah. With
6: anyway. the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign. Right. We're talking about how she's kind of she, kept her head down and. Yeah, just making money. Opened up the wall. Bring in the money, making the donuts. Line. The Democratic National Committee is launching a new field program to expand its footprint beyond the typical battle- battleground states where Hillary Clinton's campaign already has a large infrastructure. NBC News reports they're launching in Georgia, Arizona, and Utah with plans to expand soon to other states that are either too Republican or too Democratic to typically get much attention from presidential campaigns. Hmm. So they're going out to these areas that usually kind of get ignored. Because they focus so much on battleground states and then there's all all the other states that are either going to go Democratic or they're going to go Republican and try to uh, gain some more influence there. Says, meanwhile, the Clinton campaign has been stepping up its efforts in these states, launching a six-figure ad by Thursday in Arizona. After opening two field offices in the state as well as one in Georgia, the campaign has staff in all 50 states but is focused on a dozen or so battleground states and they're trying to shift some of that. Not bad. To see if they can make any inroads. Um, it seems like people... Did you hear uh, Joe Biden's
4: talk about Donald? Which time? Don't fire. The whole the whole fire comment, like, you're fired comment. And no. then Joe was impassioned and was like, Look, if your dad's lost his job and can't go to work now, you're fired. Is It's an ugly statement, and right. you've never lived that experience. It, so it seems like people, oh, they just want Joe to run. I know it's too late, but... How come he's all in passion now, but he wouldn't run?
6: Now I, he's... I think he's got... what well, well, on fuego. He's in the four month... The last four months of his job. And then he's going to be free to do whatever he wants. To go make some money. I think he's feeling a little senioritis there. Probably that's it. He's ready to go. <laughs> he's ready to... He's going to be out stumping for her twice a week till the end of the election. Is he really? Obama's going to go out... And there's several different events he's going to be at, but Joe Biden will be at every single week until as one of her, you know, spokes, not spokesperson, but surrogate. Joe's, Joe's you know. got
4: to be killing himself
6: because Joe would be he president. Would, he would be leading. Yeah. Because he wouldn't have an email scandal that's trying no. to pull him down and no. wouldn't have a family charity that right. is, is or may I not mean, be. I mean, he'd have a health care program he has to rebuild. Yeah. But whoever is the president will have to fix that.
10: Yeah. But could he have been a two term president? That's the
6: question. Well, honestly... That sounds like ageism. Yeah, that sounds like you're... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're all 70, so... <laughs> the reality is
4: the country's aging. Yeah. So, yeah. Could he have
6: Could he have lived that long? Probably. I don't know. Probably. He looks pretty spry. He does look spry. As long as there's an Amtrak train, he'll ride it. He'll be okay.
2: <laughs> Your friend here is only mostly dead.
6: He's not mostly dead
4: he's fine he just I think what he wants to do is go make some money he's never been able to have the fat and happy side of the the whole political world he's probably the one of the least wealthy you know candidates or politicians we have he's one that just seems to have gone in and done some work anywho we'll take a break when we come back we'll be speaking with Dr. Peter Coleman about how it uh, how we got to where we are why are these the candidates and it's you can complain all you want about a Trump or a Hillary Clinton but maybe you ought to just take a big look at yourself and what's going on with the people in the United States that might be part of the issue stick with us it's the Matt Townsend show helping us uh, hopefully see the good in the world we'll be right back Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, while many feel like Donald Trump is less than competent, some might even say he's pathological, and so much so that uh, the opera- the possibility, possibility of uh, becoming our leader is a bit scary. It's important to look towards, though, the other people throughout history and uh, that, that may have also taken um, that spotlight. And how these people came to be, for example, not like Donald is exactly like these people, but a Stalin, a Hitler, a Mussolini, Kim Jong-il, for example. How about uh, Paul Pod or Pinochet? How about other names that uh, that you've heard throughout the years? People that that were unstable, maybe, people that were... Too aggressive. People that were dangerous. How did they become leaders? Well, maybe what we're seeing is it's not so much about these people as it is maybe about the entire society and what's going on culturally, what's happening In an article in Psychology Today, our next guest, Dr. Peter Coleman, uh, wrote the article titled, Don't Blame Trump, Heal Thyself, America. And Dr. Coleman is the director at the Morton Deutsch International Center for Cooperation and Conflict Resolution at Teachers College at Columbia University. He's also the executive director of Columbia University's Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity. Dr. Peter Coleman, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Matt, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
4: This is, uh, I think, a, a, a big question a lot of people have had is, how did Trump come to be? Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think we could even maybe say both sides. How did Trump and Hillary Clinton come to be um, our only candidates today? We had so many angry people. We have so many people frustrated by, by both of these candidates. What, in your article, what do you mean, don't blame Trump? Heal Thyself, America.
1: Well, the basic argument I'm trying to make is that uh, I've been tracking the media coverage of, um, you know, the candidates, but particularly Donald Trump and the, the um, extreme statements that Donald Trump makes and the analyses that are offered by pundits of his psychology. And, yeah. and I, I what I find is that, you know, there's a reason that Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders and um, more... Extreme forms of candidates are more popular today, and it has something to do with the conditions in this country and Yet we at this time we particularly the um, members of the media um, but I think the American population as well find it easier to focus on an individual like Trump and to kind of deconstruct their personality and and uh, you know attack the things that they say and again i as I sort of made clear in in the piece that I wrote, yeah. uh, Donald Trump has responsibility for what he says, and definitely I think uh, it needs to be confronted with some of the facts and truths that his statements will counter. but um, it, it, what we're not paying enough attention to is the fact that there, the conditions are present in our country for people like Donald Trump to rise to power, and he, he had 13 million voters come out during the primaries and support him, which was you know record numbers mm-hmm. of voters. And that just does speak to some of the things that are happening in this country that lead people to want candidates like this. And so what I lay out in the article is that, you know, it's not simple. And I think to oversimplify why people are voting for Trump is a mistake. I think different subgroups of people vote for him for different reasons. Um, But human beings like to kind of focus on the person, on the thing, on the event, and not really... uh, consider enough about the context that allows those events to happen. And that's what I'm arguing here, is that we need to kind of back up. And in some ways, we all need to take more responsibility for how how we got here um, and start to address that.
4: It seems like uh, some blame the media, and the media or others might blame then, well, no, it's just the ultra-conservative party or the Republican Party that was in turmoil. Except for Trump's also pulling some Democrats away as well, and then we we've got to still account for the Bernie factor. There's yeah. there's certain conditions going on in the country that uh, that might be driving this as well. What are the what what are the conditions you see happening in the country that might uh, either you know be be I guess echoes from past leaders through the ages that have made it to power. Yeah.
1: Well. You know, I, 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 in this piece in the Huffington Post, I lay out a few, but the the, first, the thing I start with is economic hardship. I think that when people um, who are still today suffering from the loss of their home, the loss of their jobs, from the economic downturn that started around 2007, 2008, and really feel the humiliation of being out of work and the humiliation of losing your home and um, really, the public humiliation that 's associated with that it 's hard to believe in this country and it 's hard to really see a way forward um, with the with the status quo. whoever is the status quo and, I, and under those conditions, people I get get frustrated with really the, <clears throat> the lack of leadership that comes out of Washington, the polarization and the, the hate speech that goes back and forth, and they really start to see the dysfunction of the leadership and the government in our country and focus on that because they're feeling pain at home. Uh, And so I think that's a sort of a fundamental thing that leads to the frustration with government and the preference for somebody that's going to mix things up, that's going to, you know, attack the government, mess it up, derail it, whatever. Yeah. In some ways it is the protest vote that I think is core to this. In fact, that that was in the news.
4: Joe Biden made a big statement about how... um, Donald's you're fired phrase isn't a isn't a great phrase if you know you're somebody out there in the United States whose dad was just fired and is depressed and now can't get a job. And yet meanwhile, Joe Biden's been in the last eight years and we still have, you know, I guess lower than expected jobs numbers this month and other months.
1: Yeah, I guess it depends on who's being fired. I mean, I think that the American right. population would like to see Some a lot. Want. Of, yeah. Right, a lot of Washington or a lot of our leaders our current leaders, you know, be fired if they're not actually delivering on the promises. And again, this is, you know, this is decades of promises by politicians in both parties to, you know, cut taxes to provide jobs and when people don't see that really happening and when people see sort of deficit spending increasing, they they get frustrated. They feel like it's a it's a fixed game. They're that they're not in the game, and they'd like to see somebody who's a, an outsider come in and really shake things up. And I, again, I don't think that uh, oftentimes people aren't considering the sort of long-term consequences of that, or even perhaps the real consequences of that. But it's really an emotional reaction out of frustration and humiliation and rage that. I think move people to want something radically different,
4: mm. and
1: and even at all costs,
4: right? Like it almost doesn't matter uh, to many if if, for example, Donald has the the skills to do it, but he has the will to do it. He's willing to go in and just
1: tip over the apple cart. Yeah, it seems to be right, and so right it, again. In some ways, it's a kind of a short term gut reaction of a lot of the population, but it does. Potentially have serious and dire co- consequences for the kind of stability of our nation, um, and so you know that 's where I think the conversation st- needs to start to move is like realistically, what will happen moving forward, and you know will things actually get much worse before they get any better
4: yeah um, I mean another part you bring up and you mentioned it a minute ago is is the humiliation of this, and we've yeah. we 've had and talked about kind of the white middle-class uh, that seems to be feeling more and more disempowered. Is that the humiliation that
1: you're referring to? Yeah, I mean, humiliation is a bit, you know, is, it's an emotion that we've studied. It's a particularly toxic emotion when we feel humiliated. Usually we're sort, sort, somehow embarrassed or ashamed publicly, and it is an emotion that is particularly powerful. Um, and so when people, again, lose their jobs, when they lose their homes, uh, when they have to start to turn to friends and family members for, for financial support um, and other kinds of support, um, it is an embarrassing state to be in. And what we found in, in our research is that these are the kinds of emotions that can really mobilize people to even consider more extreme or violent actions. Like under the right can do this work by a guy named Ted Gurr who's at um, – University of maryland who 's studied violence in america, and one of the things he finds is when there is a, a strong sense of deprivation and humiliation it it can mobilize in people a sense of a need for retaliation, a need to lash out, and under the right conditions where they see you know violence as, as sort of an, a means to an end, they can turn there yeah. so the, these are These are very powerful emotions that are you know, we tend to think of emotions as held within the individuals, but when they're held within groups and communities, they can become really, you know, powerful forces that shape and change our political landscape.
4: And then, I guess, is that where, uh, when that starts to happen, then you could almost just see uh, just this spread, this, this immediate gathering, and everybody maybe even jumping on the bandwagon just because everyone else is frustrated?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And and again, I I think you saw it both sort of on the left and the right to some degree. You see it with with Donald Trump supporters who, you know, want a strong man. They want a radical. They want somebody who's going to mix things up and change things up. And you saw it on on Bernie's side. You saw a lot of Bernie voters, uh, Bernie Sanders voters very frustrated with Washington, very frustrated with the status quo, and really wanting something radically different and so that that just speaks to how pervasive these kinds of feelings are and obviously bernie and, and, and Donald Trump are, are extremely different candidates, but they are both challenging this, you know, the status quo and the way things have been and seem to um, the direction things seem to be going mm.
4: Let's uh, let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Peter Coleman, and he is uh, walking us through an article he wrote. Don't blame Trump; heal thyself, America. And this is really uh, it's about lessons learned. (sighs) I guess really the 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 conditions that create extreme candidates, extreme leaders, even unhealthy leadership uh, globally and worldwide. We'll take a break. More with Dr. Peter Coleman when we come back, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Dr. Peter Coleman. Uh, Dr. Coleman is the Morton Deutsch International Center for Cooperation and Conflict Resolution Teachers College at Columbia University. He is also the Executive Director of Columbia University's Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity. He's walking us through his article, Don't Blame Trump, Heal Thyself, America. Dr. Peter Coleman, again, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. So these, these are the conditions that uh, that, that you see are, America is dealing with currently right now and might even be then contributing to the rise of Donald Trump. But I guess these two are conditions that globally can exist and also could create maybe a dictator, could create some other extreme type of leader.
1: Well, yeah, and I think we've, we see these kinds of condition and these kinds of more strong-arm um, leaders uh, emerging in other places in the world. In the Philippines, the election of the recent president there, um, there are there are really the ascendance of more right-wing parties. Even in in Europe, in places that traditionally have been much more tolerant, uh, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, you really start to see the, the rise of the right-wing there. And again, some of this comes from some basic things that have changed one is demographics right the influx of of legal legal and illegal immigrants and migration on not only out of syria but elsewhere (laughs) um um, you start to see that kind of change take place i mean that's a major factor that's taking place in this country there was a report that came out in 2015 that just talked about the trajectory Of the population of this country and how we are becoming sort of more and more diverse, and so by 2060, half half of the states of the United States will be um, majority minority. In other words, there'll be a majority within those states of members of minority groups, and so the, the 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 demographics are changing, and that does affect the politics and it affects a sense of of you know stability that people have when there's that kind of change. At that kind of rate, Hmm. and then you put on top of that fear. Yeah. Put on top of that the basic fears that people feel from either homegrown terrorism or exported terrorism, and you you know we we see these incidents around the world in Paris and Belgium and other places, uh, and we fear it coming back to roost in the United States. And so when you see that kind of demographic change, and you see the spiking of fear. Um, those are toxic emotions that, that again, lead people to want to sort of. They they look for strong leadership. They look for more um, strong arm leadership. People that will fight these threats. The people that will, you know, um, that speak tough and talk tough about building walls and you know, ex- right. uh, um, um You know, throwing out immigrants. And again, that the, the the reality of that kind of rhetoric is that, generally speaking, most of what's proposed isn't feasible, isn't logical, uh-huh. won't be helpful, but it might feel right now to people who feel a sense of threat and instability. Yeah, is it? I
4: guess too, Don. Let's say this all kind of ends. Hillary Clinton continues to take the lead and wins. Um, if these conditions don't change, this this doesn't change. It just seems like we would have almost maybe even a more extreme candidate next time.
1: Right. Well, that's true. I mean, it's possible that this is a harbinger of things to come if we don't sort of take seriously the, the conditions themselves. And, you know, I, again, I, I, I see a lot of the, uh, the need for change uh, in Both our leadership, but really also the followership of this country. One of the things that's been particularly startling is how um, patterns of voting in our country, not only at the local level but also voting in Congress and in the Senate, have become more polarized today than they uh, were before the U.S. Civil War. So things (laughs) have gotten increasingly more polarized in this country for the really since the 1980s. And what that means is that our politicians and many, many members of our community aren't talking to each other constructively and dealing with problems constructively, so you start to see that we're, we're not functioning as a, as a society as well as we had in previous generations, and we're not solving the kinds of problems that we're facing, and we're facing, you know, significant problems, cyber warfare and terrorism and climate change, these are major threats to our country and to the human species. And when we really see our leaders as either sitting on their hands or really just not willing to compromise and to problem-solve, human beings get get frustrated, and, and, and we look to people that will break that system down and shake things up.
4: And it seems like everybody sees what they want to see, right? Like the Democrats see a, uh, a type of uh, congressional a paradigm approach to politics that's more just, you know, stopping any progress and movement. The Republicans see the, the corruption of certain leaders in the Democratic Party or the the methods used by Obama to seemingly push stuff through uh, by no. mandate or by fiat. So I, I guess that's that's part of the psychology is then we get stuck only seeing what we see and what we want to see.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, and again, I you know, I, I, I do think that if you kind of look at the decision-making that happens of many of these political leaders, I, I, I think to them, you know, I, I, I'm not a cynic. I don't think that people are in there to do harm. I don't think that they're in there to – I really think that they they're oftentimes are true believers and they're in public service. Most politicians, I think, are in public service for the right reasons. There's not a lot of money to be at least legally made <laughs> in right. public service, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but what does start to happen is when, when you lose the capacity, you know, John F. Kennedy wrote a book called Profiles in Courage, uh, and that book was about uh, compromise, was the, the difficulty of making compromises around your values and your, uh, your ideals in D.C. in order to make the country a better place, in order to solve difficult problems and move us forward. And we've really lost a sense of the, that kind of courage. We see courage as being obstructionist and being more of an idealist or an ideologue and, and holding true to our beliefs and not being willing to compromise and to work with the other side. And that really gets us nowhere. That just basically stalls our process. And I think that is a, a core pathology of our country now. And, and again, I, I, I don't just blame the leaders in Washington. Right. I, I think that's part of... Our our country, our citizenry, I think it's part, uh, as you said earlier, I I think it's fed by media that has become much more polarized and much more politically oriented media is no longer really a, you know, few media outlets are really a public service anymore. They really start to align more and more with the political orientation. And then people listen to that media, they find the media that they're interested in on the internet, and they really start to, you know, be in these echo chambers where we're talking at each other and past each other mm-hmm. and not about the problems we need to address.
4: Yeah, and then, then again, with voting down, it, it feels like we kind of, have, we've, lulled, we've been lulled to sleep, We and it's not by any party per se or by the media, but just by the conditions and the change that are going on in the country, there's like a, there's a malaise, there's a, just a boredom, Almost a discontent, I don't know, uh, avoidance of what's really happening in the country, and yeah. I, I worry that it's not we're, we're going to be we're going to lull ourselves right off the cliff.
1: Well, I think you're right. I do think that people get burned out. They do feel like you know to vote doesn't matter because ultimately you see the same thing happens, or to yeah. engage in political processes doesn't matter, or to even you know talk to your neighbor who differs from you in their political point of view, it feels like there's no value in that utility, particularly if you sort of end up in a screaming match. So I think it does foster kind of a sense of apathy and disconnectedness. Mm. We certainly see that with the youth, um, you know, other than the sort of um, energy and resonance that came with the Bernie campaign. I'm concerned that the youth in this next election, you know, in the, in the presidential election coming up in November, won't show up because they feel like it doesn't really matter. So I, I agree with you. I think yeah. that one of when things become too dysfunctional, people disengage.
4: What's the what's the impact then if Hillary, for example, wins and you now have kind of disenfranchised the whole Bernie group and the the Donald Trump group. Um, and if everything remains status quo?
1: Yeah. Well, it's a good question. It's it's hard to see the future. I I do think the probability is that Hillary will be elected. I think one of of Hillary's greatest strengths is that she is a lifelong public servant. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that she is actually really deeply invested and actually really skilled and effective at governing. And so I I think that from that perspective, I think she's actually much better at being a public servant than she is of being a politician, (laughs) sort of rhetoric and speeches and mobilizing people in in that way. And uh, and yes, as a president, you really need both. But you also need to believe and trust that whatever they're doing in terms of governance is, is sound and smart and effective. And I think she will be that. And I think in that way, in time she will earn as she did as a senator i think she really she entered the senate with kind of with with her head down and did her work and did it well and was respected by both sides of the aisle and i think if she can continue to do that um as a president uh, i think she will in time earn back the trust and the respect of the general population and and have more of a mandate but it it, it's it's going to be a tough period i think Mm. because i do think politically we're so polarized and we're so angry and distrustful of both candidates that whoever was would be elected is going to face a a tough uphill climb
4: as a as an academic as a professor that is very involved in creating cooperation driving cooperation conflict resolution what what do you suggest we just we all do the average americans we're going to go out 50% won't like the candidate 50% might What can we be doing to make sure that we're, I guess, raising our children in a way that they're more cooperative and more, you know, um, not just not just following people off a cliff?
1: Yeah, I think that there are a couple of things that we can do. I mean, I guess what I would say is that you want to sort of start with your own group. I think it is um, healthy and patriotic for Democrats to hold democratic leaders accountable and responsible for republicans to hold their republican leadership accountable and responsible and so it it starts there where we as opposed to kind of vilifying and attacking and sabotaging the other side that we really look to our leaders and require them to sort of be their best selves in terms of solving the problems the crisis we face so you know that i think in some ways it starts at home by having some you know again what happens during an election cycle is we focus on the out-group and we attack the outgroup and particularly the leaders and we, we sort of lose sight of the real challenges we're facing and of the responsibility of our own leaders of our own parties to to address those so I think that's where it starts but I also think that there are some simple things that we can do in this country to become more open to other points of view so it does mean that if you're a more conservative Republican, if you're a more liberal, liberal Democrat, that you find people on the other side who you think are smart and articulate and well-intentioned and you listen to them and you engage with them. And again, we, we, we don't, no. we, we, we do that less and less in yeah. this country. Um, so we have to kind of actively decide to do that. We can't passively expect that information to come to us. But I do think that if you can identify people on the other side, who you think are well informed, well intentioned, and they may have a philosophical difference from you, but but you can you can you can yeah. hear what they have to say. It does start to open us up to both us. Um, Uh, more middle ground, but also to more feasible problem-solving and less ideology.
4: More ideas, more insights, more understanding, too. Dr. Peter Coleman, thank you so much for your great insights. Keep up your work there at Columbia.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Ben. You
4: bet. And uh, how powerful. Broaden your mind. And if we open up those ideas, if we open up the information then you are informed and you can have a better discussion. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up this first hour of the program. It's the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, you got to do something, right? It's it's not enough to just say ah Trump ah, Hillary Clinton <laughs> you can't just be mad about it folks at some point it's your uh, it's your problem and it it will be your problem if if you don't elect somebody that's that can do something and can help create some of these changes and some of that may already have passed right you for half of the country you may not have you may not feel like you've got a horse in the race so on either side. So let's be careful. Extreme candidates come from extreme conditions in a country, and some would argue we have some pretty extreme conditions. By the way, today we are celebrating on September 2nd VJ Day, Victory Over Japan Day, which, uh, you know, it's a huge—it's the moment uh, there was a surrender from Japan on August, uh, 15th of August, 1945— uh, via the acceptance of the Potsdam Declaration of world, in World War II. Today is also uh, Lazy Mom's Day.
3: Run around the house collecting stray clutter with a laundry basket. Find the one closet with a bit of available space left <laughs> yeah. and stuff it all in just put it in there. Block off an entire wing of your home and tell people you're having some work done. <laughs> the smell of bleach subconsciously makes your home seem cleaner. Wipe a couple of surfaces with it so that the visitors catch the scent.
4: Great ideas for lazy mom's day. Just take all of the stuff, put it in a in a in your hamper, throw it in some closet. Block off an entire wing of your home, pretend like something's going on there you can't go near. It. Today's the day we celebrate Lazy Moms. This is the day, moms, where you don't have to do any work. Just get your sweats on. Tell your family you're on strike. We're encouraging you to relax, take a back seat, and just lounge out. It's also, if you were wondering, bring your manners to work day. Oh, Jack, do you
2: think I could borrow that portable radio of yours for the picnic tomorrow,
5: please? Asking to borrow things politely, not demanding them. And sharing things when you can are more signs of good manners.
10: Matt, can I borrow your portable radio this weekend? Say please. Please. Absolutely. Thanks, Jack, for asking
4: with such politeness. By the way, remember, your manners are always showing. We learned a lot about manners in preparing for this segment. Today we will be going through many manners tips as well as Lazy Mom Day tips. Two days we can all celebrate. Let's. Uh, <laughs> we'll take a break. When we come back, folks, more information for you, more ideas. We're going to teach you how to raise an adult. How you can parent a healthy adult. Well, I mean, parent a child to become a healthy adult. Stick with us, folks. The Matt Townsend Show. It's Friday. We'll be right back.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt
3: on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call
3: the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
3: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU
2: Radio.
4: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number two of the program. This is the show where we give you the information you need to lead a healthier, happier life. Not just the news, not just the stories, but we get you an in-depth Look at stuff you need to know about. Now, today we'll be talking about how to raise an adult. you got to be careful. If you overparent; you may not ever raise uh, a child to adulthood. You'll just keep the child home. They'll live in your basement. But what's great about it is you will have somebody that you can try to manipulate to mow the lawn for the rest of your life.
6: <sighs> Might be easier just to get them to move out. At the moment, that's my only goal. Is to get have somebody else mow my lawn and then i don't really oh, have that's to going pay to be them. easy i thought you were going to say to get your kids out of the house no, I a mean, you know, little young for that first steps first okay. you got to get one of them what, out of what your age, wife. what age is appropriate well there's that what age is appropriate to have your son mow the lawn
4: uh 10
6: yeah when do the neighbors not call the cops that's because the your kids playing with something dangerous? what i think is appropriate because <laughs> i'm willing to risk it at six
10: just as long as they're fully dressed, I think the neighbors will be okay.
6: I, I think the only rule, don't stick your hand under the lawnmower. You're right, fine. Right. But, you know,
4: when you see a kid lifting up the lawnmower so the neighbor kids can look underneath. Right. <laughs> it's a scary. So I, I think ours was always about 12, okay. 11, 12. And then we have a big lawn, so ours takes weeks to mow. Mine takes about an hour hour and a half but it, your kid will do it in a second he'll want to yeah. do it oh sure it's the sign of manliness right the key is you have to buy him a little lawnmower fake lawnmower have him follow you and around. then have him follow you around and
6: then eventually you can have him out there pushing with you my kid's really unmotivated to get out <laughs> outside is he he, he likes the, the ipad and the yeah the tv so we turn that off he pouts for a while and then he wants to go outside and play
4: well that's too bad for your kid
6: yeah so we need to get him a lawnmower It'll He'll want to do it. And then he'll he for about
4: one summer, he'll do it, and then he'll never want to go near it again. That's well, where the real parenting comes from. Well, no, out. I'll just
6: make it a, a a main requirement for his existence. Oh, do you want to exist still, son? Yes. <laughs> you know what you got to do? Hit do you the like, mower. Do you like that bed? Mow the lawn.
4: <laughs> so, the big thing is you know you're a good parent when you can teach your kid to
6: edge the lawn. Mm, I don't even edge the lawn. That's a whole other set of skills. I hate my edger. Yeah, I do too. That's a whole different story. (sighs) Well, happy uh,
4: Lazy Mom's Day. This is the day when moms can just kick back.
6: Ladies, you, you have one day. Today is it. You know what my wife did last night? What? Organize the towel closet. See, she's nesting. Exactly. I walk up, I'm like, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm just organizing. You do realize that'll never look like that after today. Yeah. You put those in there. I'm going to come in but with some more after we wash them and just, it'll be a mess. So is she going to relax today now that it's lazy mom day? Maybe she's telling me I have to rebuild the baby crib. Oh boy. Cause it was my kid's bed. Oh, so now he's been booted. To and then he, he's bed. in a bigger bed that it was put in the closet. Now I have to take it out and put it all back together again. And I think I found the instructions, but I'm not sure. They're probably on Lazy Mom's Day. By the way, uh, the other 364 days a year, Lazy Dad's Day.
10: Absolutely. (laughs) I have to force my wife to take some lazy time.
4: yeah. Mine can't do it. It, But you know what I found out? It just makes me nervous that she can't be lazy. So we just sit there, and I'm lazy for her because I care. I'm doing this for you. I try, and she's like, well, I have to... (laughs) I have to do it because you don't do it. Well, I would do it if you'd ever relax enough to let me think about doing it. You're blaming me? No, we're not. It's also bring your manners to work day. Mm. Your manners are always showing.
5: It's about time to get out the storm windows and check them over. How about tonight, Jack?
2: Gee, I'm sorry, Dad. I have a date tonight. Would tomorrow be all right?
5: Sure. Just make sure. Yes, even when you have to go against another's wishes, you can do it agreeably. (laughs) Being agreeable, saying and doing things in a pleasant way, that's easy enough. And it does make a difference all day long.
10: Yes, it does. Gotta get out those storm windows and clean them. Um, well, Father, I would like to do that. It's just I have a date tonight. Can I go
4: on my date and maybe do the storm windows tomorrow? But what would the average dad say? Did you hear me? You weren't put on this earth to go on dates. You were put on this earth to do our storm windows. Okay, father. Poor Jack. Jack (laughs) is... But Jack's learning an important lesson. Manners. They're always showing. Oh, your manners are showing. Scary. (sighs) Ah. we got a great show for you. We're going to be talking about how to raise an adult. If you want to parent in a way that you could eventually have your child grow up and be a healthy adult, guess what? Today's the day. You'll be learning that in just a few moments. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headline. Sadie, what's up?
7: More than half of Americans, 52 percent, say Libertarian Party nominee Gary Johnson should be allowed to participate in the presidential debates, according to a Morning Consult poll. Nearly as many, 47 percent, say the same about the Green Party candidate Jill Stein. If either is included, they would be the first third-party debate participant since Ross Perot debated George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton in 1992. The city of Chicago recorded its deadliest month in two decades this August, as gun violence continues to plague the city. A total of 472 people were shot in the city this last month, and 90 were killed. A 66% increase from the last August, and the number of homicides ties the total recorded in August 1996. At least 449 people have been shot so far this year, and which is an increase of 50% from the same period time in 2015. Local mosquitoes carrying the Zika virus have been found in Miami. The Florida Department of Agriculture Agriculture and Consumer Services announced Thursday. This is the first instance of native Zika-carrying mosquitoes to be found in the United States um, because all previous cases of the disease were found to be linked to foreign travel. And finally, in your Google news, a woman from the Faroe Islands encouraged Google to bring its Street View feature to the area after strapping cameras to sheep. What? Uh huh. According to a Google blog post, Dorita Andreassen took advantage of the 70,000 sheep that inhabit the 18 islands by fitting them with solar powered cameras <laughs> to capture the footage of the area. Google sur- lear- learned of her sheep view project and sent the Google Maps team to the Faroe Islands to provide the 50,000 human <laughs> residents with the tools necessary to capture the street view footage themselves.
4: Unbelievable.
7: Crazy, right?
6: The things we do to animals. All, oh, I guess. So that we can sit on our computer and go, hey, look at that. <laughs> look at that. We put them in blankets. Yes, we do. Pigs in a blanket. We wrap them
4: up. Thank you, Sadie. Interesting news. Interesting news. Uh, yeah, now all of a sudden everybody wants these third and fourth party candidates <clears throat> to be involved in the debate. Right. That seems like they're changing the rules. Or is it just that they really
6: can't imagine a debate with Hillary and uh, Donald? I listened to a discussion about how the presidential selection process is really quite not reflective of our culture. Really? Yeah, you can go to the grocery store. There's like 500 different types of yogurt you can get. Right. Different textures. You got fruit on the bottom, yogurt, fruit on the side. No drinkable fruit. yogurt, portable, okay, yeah. frozen. But we vote for president?
4: It's two. Two people. Well, and one you've... Already known, yeah. and made a decision about thirty years ago, and, and there's, the other kind of
6: creeps you out. There's probably about there's four other options or twenty options depending on who you want to yeah. include in the in the in the party, but there's really two. Yeah, because the other ones are like
10: banana and coconut <laughs> flavors that you probably are not
6: going to try.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so there's once in a while there's the guy that loves coconut.
6: But it just seems odd that I mean, any anything else in life, we have all these selections. How many? If you want a car, you you were looking for yeah, a car. Just, you, yeah, you actually still kinda, looking for a car. You gave up after a while because there's so many options.
4: Well, and I can't. And, I really can only. I only want two or three, and I don't know.
6: They haven't done a great job yet. But when it comes to the president, there's two, it's two, just two. There's other options. We can include them in debates, yeah, but, but really, they're are, not,
4: they, are they really options? Then yeah. you're told if you because you if you choose like the eighth option. Hmm. You're really just dooming the rest of us to one of the other two anyway. Yeah, because so, you're pulling a vote from them. You probably so. ought not even choose.
10: They're just going to sit in the back of the fridge. They're going to keep getting put in the back of the rotation. And then you'll check the date in two years, and it'll be expired.
6: Yeah. That's what's going to happen to all of those other candidates. And that mango coconut yogurt goes to waste. <sighs> but it's a great idea.
4: <laughs> Interesting idea. Hey, uh, for all of you, using any form of social media, listen up. It's dangerous, folks. A U.S. woman accidentally shoots herself while Snapchatting. Okay? Uh, by the way, the woman from Florida tried to Snapchat a video of herself holding a gun, but instead accidentally shot her cell phone, injuring her right hand. Regina Powell's her name, 22. She said she was foolishly mm. playing. With a 40 caliber semi-automatic handgun, trying to make a Snapchat video when it went off. Whoops. By the way, the bullet destroyed her cell phone hmm. faster than a battery can destroy a Samsung 7.
6: Which is now being recalled. Or a Note 7. Is it a Sa- yeah, no, it's yeah, the Note? It's got yeah. The little yeah, the batteries there are exploding, so. Yeah, watch out for that, too. Uh,
4: Injured her thumb and her index finger. Police were still looking for the gun. Hmm. Which the woman's aunt tossed out of her car window as she drove to the to the Powell Hospital. That's funny. She, give me the gun. Give me the gun. Auntie's going to toss it. So Auntie tossed it uh, on the way to the hospital. So here's some more advice we want to give you just hmm. because we care about you. So you shouldn't Snapchat with a loaded gun and, you know, don't mess around with that. Some other things you shouldn't probably be doing while you're Snapchatting. Okay. Okay. Uh, Gutting a fish with a really sharp blade. Okay, that would be advisable. You've only got two hands. You might want to hold the fish. Yeah. Knife in the other hand. Nowhere to put your your phone, right? Right. Uh, This was a a really important one. I wouldn't run a wood chipper and try to put heavy logs into it while Snapchatting. Yeah. Because that
6: just... You might want to focus on what you're doing, not Snapchat what you're doing. Maybe Uh get a friend to help. I wouldn't uh, cut someone's hair. Right. You could cause some issues,
4: especially like if you're going to do some intricate, like intricate detailing Mm. on their on their head. You wouldn't want to do that. And, you know, if you're uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton, I probably wouldn't be deleting emails while Snapchatting.
6: That idea is just the worst. Yeah. You don't want to do that.
4: Yeah. Just if I mean, and and I guess if you're Trump, you, you probably ought not be meeting with the president of Mexico with the Snapchat on. Was that what he was doing? Yeah, cuz then we would know what was actually said in the meeting. Yeah. He yeah. said they had a discussion. There was a conversation. There was a but yeah, he says that we didn't talk about who's paying for it and the Mexican president said, "Oh, yes we did." Yes, we did. So crazy uh story there. Um you had A news story that this came up
6: yesterday. I found very interesting. Jet Blue. We had the uh, the chairman chairman of the board, board. unbeknownst to anyone here on the show. He just walks in one day. Uh, Jet Blue uh, mixed up two five-year-olds. There was one coming from the Dominican Republic. His mother and him traveled down there a few weeks ago. Yeah. And then his mom came back, leaving the kid with friends and, yeah. and family down there in the Dominican. When he was, uh, when the his trip was done, he came back. He was going to fly back to New York. Right. So what they do is him, and there was a couple other kids coming back. So JetBlue, you pay an extra hundred dollars, and, and they, JetBlue will they make they sure they your kid to make they sure they get from gate to gate, yeah. right? And and so they they get the kids back to New York, and they walk up to the mom, and they go, "Here's your kid." She looks down, and she goes, "That's not my kid." No, that's your kid. And they're like, "What? No, the passport says." And they look, and it's a different photograph.
4: Uh, I sent my kid to Australia, so and the, he came back speaking. What they Spanish. found out was
6: the kid ended up in Boston, over 200 miles away from his mom. Oh! And uh, The no. woman goes, "I thought she was. He was kidnapped. I thought he would never see him again." Which I don't understand because JetBlue found out pretty quick where he was. Yeah, you know but, they. But she was panicking, and it's like, well, okay. Um, But the scary thing is he was probably on the carousel just circling for hours. Yeah, so it was interesting, though, because uh, there is some speculation that maybe the two boys swapped passports for some reason. Uh, let's not
4: blame a five-year-old boy for
6: this mistake. It was asked at the press conference with the mother, and the lawyer stepped in. He goes, we're not going to speculate on what's going on. We just know that JetBlue's involved. And seven people have been fired. JetBlue credited the mom with some uh, frequent flyer miles, a free trip, you know, anything to to kind of help make up for the problem. The child's psyche. He's probably feeling it was pretty awesome. He went on another plane ride. The funny thing (laughs) is, maybe the kids did swap them, and they're just laughing. Sounds like the parent trap. Totally. Both boys had to get swapped back. It was taken care of. The kids are now back with their moms, but Hmm. um, it was kind of interesting. Where were their fathers? Well, one father's on the Dominican. That's why the, yeah. Technical.
4: Okay. Wow. That's a scary mix-up. You always see the, the the flight attendants, you know, bringing on a child and then watching the child and right. keeping them from the drunk first class passengers.
6: <laughs> you get the little wings too. Oh, yeah. Those were the days. Don't you love that? But yeah, so they switch. They mess. I mean, just. I mean, you'd be really worried. They walk up and that's not your kid.
4: No, this is your kid.
6: But you would think that that would be alleviated quickly once they found he was in Boston. No. But then they held a press conference saying that she was in terror for three hours. I mean, terror. Yeah. She knew where her kid was. He was uh, in Boston, he was but on it's an airplane. Like, have you ever back. lost
4: your bag before? No. It's I don't, really I don't fly off that often. It's off putting. Because well, yeah. you're like, right. I need my razor. <laughs> it's probably like that. <laughs> it's your only child. It's probably like that crazy. We will take a break. When we come back, folks, we're going to be talking about how to break free of the over-parenting trap, how to set your kids up to actually grow up to be healthy, happy adults. Wouldn't that be nice? Stick with us. We're here to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier lives. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back friends to the Matt Townsend show. You know, as summer closes and September officially gets underway, over a million students will be attending college for the first time. And while college marks the beginning of independence for some, some other students are having their parents come along for their first year of college. Here to discuss hel- helicopter parenting is author of the book How to Raise an Adult Break Free of the Overparenting Trap and Prepare Your Kid for Success, Julie Lithcott Hames. Welcome to the program,
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
4: So great to have you. This is a, uh, I see it a lot just in my own life and my own work uh, with students here at Brigham Young University, but more importantly, in my coaching world. And I, I found that um, a lot of us, and you you have been a former Stanford University dean of freshmen. D- did you see a lot of kids coming in who's, who really had never experienced the world because their parents did all the experiencing for them?
0: Yeah, Matt, that's exactly what I was seeing, and it alarmed me because, in theory, I was working with students who are some of the most bright and capable um, in our nation, around the world, and yet they seem so hampered, so unfamiliar with their own selves, very reliant upon a parent to do everything from... Uh, track their deadlines. Talk to faculty if there was a problem with a grade. Um, even called to wake them up. Um, <laughs> they seemed very good at going through the motions. Very, very good yeah. at going through the motions of life. But had they ever had to really kind of stand on their own? And many of them, for many of them, the answer was no. And they looked rather bewildered then, um, and fe- and afraid <clears throat> at the prospect of having to kind of be their own, be the adult in their own life.
4: Do it, I guess is that. Because they, they still got into Stanford. So it seems like I, maybe what we're doing to, to the requirements we're setting for kids to get in aren't necessarily that they're healthy adults, but just that or on the you know healthy young adults, but that they can pass the ACT or they can they can get a good grade. Are we are we just not preparing them for adulthood?
0: I think that's exactly right. And let me pause and say this is this is hardly just a Stanford. Problem. Right. And no, this you is said, everywhere you see it at BYU. And yeah. I would talk to colleagues at campuses all over the country all different types of schools and we were all noticing the same thing in the last decade um, I call it the checklisted childhood you've asked kind of what led to this and my yeah. answer is uh, we seem to have constructed in communities where parents are at least middle class um, and certainly upper middle class and beyond what I call the checklisted childhood which is the the perfect childhood the childhood where every afternoon has an Enriching activity, but I think, in this, in essence, we've put kids in a cage of enrichment. It's not in a wide open field. It's not an opportunity to play. It's you know, take these tests, do this homework, be in this activity, get these accolades and these awards, all designed to lead to admission to whatever college we might have in mind. And so, while a child might be very, very good at meeting our very, very high expectations. We've essentially pointed them in a certain direction, laid the path for them, smoothed the path. Sometimes we're dragging them down the path. (laughs) We shouldn't be surprised then when they get to whatever destination we had in mind, and they are ill-equipped to kind of continue walking on their own.
4: Yeah, it's so true. That's such a great phrase, the checklist of childhood. So as a parent, if I'm sitting there and I have the three things I need to get done for my kids every night... Um, that might be the wrong way to look at life. It might be the three things my kids need to do to become an adult.
0: That's exactly right. And I, and uh, to that point, too many of us are saying, oh, we have a lot of homework tonight. Well, no, we don't. <laughs> our son <laughs> does or our daughter does. You know, we're on the travel soccer team. No, our son is or our daughter is. I think too many of us have our own sense of Self wrapped up in our kids' activities and our kids' achievement. Um, so we feel better or worse about our own selves if we can say, well, this is the grade we got or this is the opportunity oh, we're, we're taking advantage of.
4: They, listen to that language, because I hear that all the time. Yeah. We. Well, we. When was the last time you kicked a goal, Mom? <laughs> Come on. Get out right. there. Talk, right. uh, talk right. to us about you introduced three types of over-parenting. Yeah. What, what do you call, what are the overs?
0: Yeah, well, I did this because we we use the phrase helicopter, snowplow parent, lawnmower parent. I wanted to get at the actual behaviors, and here's what they are. Um, Overprotection, this is the mindset that the world is scary and unsafe and unpredictable, and therefore I must prevent and protect at every turn instead Mm. of prepare you for what's out there. Uh, There's overdirecting, uh, otherwise known as the tiger type of parenting. This is the, you know, intense pressure to do a certain course of study, or become a certain type of person. Uh, I know best what leads to success, kid, and you will do as I say. Mm. And the third type is the hand holder or the concierge. You know, I will handle it for you. I will keep track of your deadlines like I'm your executive assistant. I will go talk to that authority figure in your life on your behalf. I will advocate for you. I will defend. I will, you know, smooth the path. I will hold your hand. Um, instead of teaching you how to be responsible accountable, um, you know, and advocate for yourself.
4: Boy, talk about creating a neurotic child. Yes,
0: well, we shouldn't be surprised. So many young adults, you know, on your campus, on my former campus, around the nation, are struggling with, you know, anxiety and depression at rates never before seen. And studies are starting to link this style of overparenting with higher rates of anxiety and depression. Essentially, we're doing so much for them, having high expectations, trying to handle everything they can't handle for themselves. We're kind of depriving them at a very basic level of the chance to be their own person, which really messes with a person's psyche.
4: And does this I mean, I guess has this been going on for multiple generations? I mean, I don't remember being overprotected or overdirected or having my hand held.
0: Well, Matt, I don't know how old you are. I'm but, uh, forty-seven.
4: I just found out.
0: You're forty-seven. Yeah,
4: I used to think well, I was forty-eight.
0: You know what? I'm forty-eight, but Bingo. sometimes I think I'm forty-seven. So I'm right there with you. So, so did you? What up, did you feel? <laughs> well, things have changed, and let me tell you when things changed. Um, in the and I, I learned this fascinatingly because um, I was working with college students. Starting in the late 90s, and that was when we first began to see parents kind of encroaching upon the shores of the university. (laughs) You know, how can I be involved in the day-to-day management of life? So I said, wait a minute, if you're if you're 18 years old in 1998 and your parents are over-involved, what was happening when you were little, early 80s? Um, And I began to read up on this and to study the work of other people. And this is what I learned: in the early to mid 1980s, we had five important changes happening in this country. Number one. Um, Stranger Danger was born. True. The concept, there was a made-for-TV movie, Adam, uh, produced by John Walsh, you know, who went on. Yeah. about Right? Okay, so Stranger Danger, 1983, based on, th- th- that's when the fear was really born in our minds, 1983. The Playdate was born in 1984, perhaps <laughs> not unrelated, but also because we had a lot of moms going back to work, and all of a sudden the concept of when can kids play with one another was a little bit more complicated. So Stranger Danger, 83, Playdate, 84, Self esteem movement was born during this time. This is the notion, as you know, as a coach. Yeah. You know, let's give them a ribbon, a trophy, a certificate just for being on the team, not for being any good at it. <laughs> and so our kids' childhoods, our childhood bookshelves became littered with all this stuff. Um, then a book was published called A Nation at Risk saying American kids needed, you know, more teaching to the test, more testing in order to be more competitive with their international peers. And finally, we became safer. Seatbelt laws, bike safe, bike helmet laws, car seat laws... All rolled into effect across the 50 states during the mid 1980s, and no doubt they made us safer on the roads. But they led to this mindset that we could literally prevent our kids from suffering any bruise. And so, you know, we've we've become a a nation with houses with you know rubberized corners on every (laughs) coffee table, um, because we don't want them to have a scrape, a bump, or or a bruise. So all of these things, you know, conspired to. Changed childhood. You know, childhood was really now the domain of parents, um, hovering, watchful, you know, always there um, in ways that just previously had not been the case. And that set of kids, millennials, by the way, they're the earliest wave of the millennial generation, were subjected to this childhood. It's no wonder they could fail to launch as it. Oh, sure. They've just been, you know, treated like veal. You know, raised to, for some perfect moment, but you know they're they're sort of slaughtered out in the real world. That we, yeah, but we've also fattened
4: to, them up too, haven't we? we they've, me? We've they've, we've we fattened them up like yeah. a good veal, I guess.
0: Yeah.
4: Um, isn't that? It's true. And I, as I as you were going down that list, I'm thinking, yeah. But I was, you know, eighteen, right. so I, I, I guess I had experienced stranger danger, but I we didn't have. The kidnapping cases that make the f- top of, of the stories in the news, and and then Nancy Grace talking about them for hours on end, and I mean it's a, it's a whole different age of fear. It seems like.
0: Well, but the, but to your point, it's a different age of fear, but the rates of such atrocities have not increased. No. So, we just know about them. We're all able to access news and information 24 7, 365, which was not true when you and I were young. Right, right. Thanks heavens. But but (laughs) that's a different show. Okay. (laughs) But these things are not happening with greater frequency. In a nation with 74 million children, the FBI statistics um, indicate that 115 cases of child abduction and murder at the hands of a stranger are happening and that's an infinitesimal number given how many children we have in our nation now i'm not saying it's not horrific of course it's horrific right. i have two kids i have two teenagers i you know none of us can bear to imagine that kind of thing happening to any child but we behave as if it's likely every day every afternoon um and so we don't let them play in parks we don't let them on sidewalks the truth is they're at far greater risk of death by being a passenger in a car right. but nobody's questioning that they're at far greater risk of death by playing football okay but totally. nobody's nobody's questioning that so we have this really outblown notion of the extent to which that that lurking stranger is a real and present threat and it really has in in many ways changed how we approach childhood.
4: That's so true. So true. Okay, let's take a break. We're speaking with uh, Julia Lithcott-Hames. She's the author of the book, How to Raise an Adult, Break Free of the Overparenting Trap, and Prepare Your Kids for Success. When we come back, we'll be talking solutions. What can we do as parents to lighten up and uh, actually empower, put a little load on the child so that they can strengthen their back? We'll be back, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping your children and you live longer, healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back.
5: Somewhere, somewhere in above me, I know, I know that my mom was proud of me. Oh, mama. Cause I'm a dentist.
4: Welcome back <laughs>
11: <Everyone>. <laughs>
4: to the Matt Townsend Show. Nothing makes a mom more proud than when you finally are a dentist. That's from Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> Oh, you got to love it. Folks, today we're talking about parenting, really over-parenting. And uh, if you're not careful, you may not raise a child that could be a healthy adult. And when that happens, they're just going to be living with you and creating problems for the rest of your life, which, hey, for some might not. That's not bad. I'll do that. I'll raise him for the rest and his family. Joining us on the phone is Julie Lithcott-Hames. She's the author of the book, How to Raise an Adult, Break free of the overparenting trap and prepare your kids for success. Thank you so much, Julie, for being with us.
0: My pleasure. Nice to be back.
4: What a great, uh, what a great topic and an important topic, especially as kids are starting school. Before the break, you were talking to us about some of the dangers of overparenting, the the fact that we you know become the overprotective, overdirecting, handholding parent. But is there is there uh, the the other side of the coin would be that we're underparenting. We're not we're not doing anything. We're just ignoring them. Do we need to worry about that as well?
0: Absolutely. So, um, you know, I'm not in any way advocating that we turn our back on our kids or neglect them. What I'm saying is we have to parent for the long view, the long run, which is uh, to imagine that day uh, way in the distant future, we hope, when we won't be around to uh, smooth our kids' path for them and uh, or, you know, or handle it, whatever it may be. We need to know our kids' can can thrive out there uh, without us, um, you know. And thriving doesn't mean that their solution is to text us to handle, you know, the stuff of life, whatever it is. Uh, I think a good word here is we need to know our kids can fend for themselves. You know, this is the job of of any parent in the animal kingdom. You know, to raise our offspring, to have the skills so that they can look after themselves and um, and maybe even raise the next generation. So. Um, so yeah, we don't want to be neglecting or abandoning them in any shape or, or sense right. of the word. We want to be teaching them. Every year, we ought to desire that our kids, you know, have have learned to do more, are more responsible, um, you know, are are have better judgment, are more capable. And there's this beautiful four-step method that I learned from a mom here in Silicon Valley named Stacey Ashland. She's raising a kid with special needs but she also has a second child developing typically. And she says, look, you know, when, you, when your kid has special needs, you have to be more deliberate about teaching life skills because the, the disability might get in the way. And she's got this handy four-step method that I think is brilliant and can apply to all of us um, for any skill, whether you're trying to teach a kid to make – make food in the kitchen or remember to put their own stuff in their backpack or learn how to cross the street, this is a a beautiful method. Number one, you do it for them. And let's face it, we do that from infancy through toddlerhood, through early childhood, you know, but but we can start teaching them to do for themselves pretty young. But in the beginning, we're doing it for them. That's step one. Step two, you do it with them. Step three, you watch them do it, and step four, they can do it completely independently. So the teaching and learning and growth happens in steps two and three, where they're, you, you know, you're you're doing it with them, and then you're watching them, not micromanaging them, but you know, giving them advice and guidance um, um, and feedback as they need it. But ultimately, we want our kids to get to step four, so that when they go off to BYU. They don't find themselves three or four weeks into it saying, oh, my gosh, I don't know how to make it through a day without my mom or dad telling yeah. me what to do.
4: I burnt the ramen again. I burnt the ramen, Mom. Yeah. yeah.
0: Or so which true. type of ramen do I like? <laughs> you know, like so unfamiliar with making their own food, they don't even know what it is they like. They're just accustomed to seeing it arrive on a plate.
4: It's And, and even, even the steps in between these where we do it for them, we don't always create a nice segue of now letting them... Do it themselves, and right. we we just kind of throw it at them. But right. you can ramp it up over time.
0: Right, you must ramp it up over time; otherwise, it's cold and cruel. You know, if you've been doing too much for a you know sixteen or seventeen year old, and then eighteen year old, and then they go off to college. You've really dropped them cold turkey in a brand new environment where they will be expected to be able to think and plan and do and, you know, handle so much for themselves. It's really quite unfair to coddle them through 18 years and then drop them off and expect them somehow to thrive. I mean, that's on you, parent. If that's, if your kid has trouble thriving at that point, well, take a look in the mirror, okay? Yeah, childhood is meant to prepare our kids for that inevitable day when they're capable of going off to college, going to serve on a mission, right. going into the military, you know, going into the workplace, whatever it is. You know, back in the day, as we like to say, you know, you and I were coming up in the '80s. You know, 18 meant something quite different than what it means today. And I think we have to take a hard look at what's going on and why that is, and why why are, why do we desire for our kids to be less capable somehow than we were? Hmm.
4: It's such a because we we would say well we don't want that Julie we just want to give them the best
0: right of course and Matt we love our kids fiercely we parents we just this this love we have for our children, this biological impulse is so strong. It's so powerful. And here's where we've just gotten a little bit misguided. We think to love is to do it all for them. Instead of realizing to love is to teach them to do more and more for themselves. We ought to be interested in developing their character, their work ethic. You know, we need to send them out in the world capable of rolling up their sleeves, working hard and pitching in, and being really kind to fellow humans. I mean, those are the building blocks. You know, that's, you, you, you prepare a kid with, with those fundamentals, you know, they can go out and succeed in the world. Um, but instead we've decided, no, 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 I have to arrange it, I have to plan it, I have to remind them, I have to do it for them. Parents are kind of overhelping with homework <laughs> in so many communities, more interested in helping their kid get the A than in making sure their kid learns. And so they become college students, who still send work back home for parents to check. I mean, that's just a problem in so many ways.
4: And eventually, uh, I had a I had a family member that would always edit my paper. So mm-hmm. I, would, I knew in my head, I just had to get it to about 85%, <laughs> and then my brilliant family member would just edit it and clean it all up. Right. Until all of a sudden, I'm in grads, I'm getting a master's degree, and I'm thinking... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to pay someone to edit my paper because <laughs> right. I don't have that confidence.
0: Well, and you know what? Right. Editing is a great skill. We all should, if we're writers, we, we should show our work to other people and get feedback. There's a difference between someone um, circling problems, writing comments, saying, t- you know, this isn't clear. What do you mean here? Say more. You've got to support this. That's helpful and that's ethical. But when a parent goes in and outright rewrites it for the kid, right. because they know, the parent knows, I'm a better writer, therefore I'm going to polish this, the kid isn't learning anything. The people that the paper is submitted to think the kid has done this work. That's the unethical part. You know, and the kid kind of knows, I didn't do my own work. I'm not actually capable. So you know, there's, there's that sort of fine, there's that fine line. There's the healthy side of helping. You know, there's the appropriate ethical side, and then there's the crossing the line into inappropriate.
4: Talk about the the definition of success. I guess part of it you just did where it's more about character and work ethic and, I guess, uh, your ability to adapt than it is about becoming the dentist. Right. But, but exactly. for parents, so much, it's like you're going to college, you will get a degree, and, it, you know, you probably ought to be a doctor like your dad.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you're going to college— I pretty much don't have a problem with, in that a college degree these days is kind of the equivalent in terms of a workplace credential, you know, that a high, as a equivalent to a high school degree from, say, 30 years ago. That is, more jobs will be available to you if you have that college degree. Not to say everyone has to go, but I can see why parents are saying you're going to college. We want our kids to be prepared for greater opportunity. Telling them what to be, though, that I find is an assault on the human self, okay, We parents, we want them to follow in our footsteps. I'm a doctor, therefore you should be a doctor. Mm. Or we want to live vicariously. I always wanted to be a doctor. I didn't become one, so now I want to make my kid become a doctor. Those are really problematic things, okay? That's about our own ego and our own needs. Instead, we ought to take an interest in that little human, our son or daughter, take an interest in what they seem to be good at, what they seem to love, and, and encourage them toward those things, Okay. So it's not that we should want our kid to be a doctor or a dentist. We want our kid to discover their talents and their skills and what, you know, what they value, what yeah. they care about, and then go and, and do that work. I mean, that's, that's a meaningful, rewarding professional life when we're doing work we're not only good at, but that we also love.
4: And you can help them discover their talents and skills right now. You could be, I mean, there's really awesome assessments. You could be talking about skills and character traits versus, you know, goals and uh, trophies.
0: Yep. Absolutely. That's stuff we
4: could be doing today.
0: Absolutely. There are great assessments, like um, the Strength Finder, yeah, Finder yeah. goals. Um, when a kid is older, the Myers-Briggs. Um, here's, here's the way I like to think about it. When I was a college dean at Stanford— students would say, you know, I don't know what I want to do with my life, and I said, all right, that's normal, you know, <laughs> don't worry, let's start talking about what you do know about yourself, you know, well, what, what are you really interested in topically, you know, what, what, what issues do you care about, and, and a student might say, you know, well, I really care about poverty, I'm really, you know, I'm really, w- you know, I want to do something about poverty, and I say, okay, great, it's great to know that, now let's um, just take that as an example, now let's talk about how you like to be in the world. Um, Do you like to write? Do you like to do research? Do you like to um, be talking to people all the time? Uh, Do you like to travel? Do you like to crunch numbers? Um, Because everyone from economists to biologists to journalists to poets uh, can help alleviate poverty through Mm. their work. Mm. So you've got to learn about yourself. You know, do I want to be the, uh, the economist, you know, crunching numbers that are going to turn into some kind of policy that's going to help alleviate poverty? Or do I want to be a narrative journalist telling really powerful stories that will move other people to change their habits uh, and do more to alleviate poverty? And it was just a way of illustrating almost anything is possible. But, you know, at the root of what you should do is know yourself. What am I good at? What do I love? You know, and plan accordingly.
4: Mm. Julie, as we wrap it up, what's the one thing? I always ask for the one thing that makes the biggest difference. If, if a parent really needs to get on it, let's say they've got a 17-year-old and they've been a little behind in, in parenting, what's the one thing they can do today to get it started?
0: Well, uh, one thing. Uh, realize that your job as a parent is to put yourself out of a job. Um And therefore, sit down with that 17-year-old and say, I've been doing too much for you. I was doing it with love, but I realize the most loving thing is to help you do for yourself. So let's pick three things you're going to be responsible for. We're going to teach you how to do it. We're going to help you. But let's say in two to three months, you're going to be capable of doing these things by yourself.
4: Mm. Good stuff. Julie, yeah. you did it. You did it. You did it. Good job. Julie Lithcott-Hames, uh, How to Raise, how to an, raise adult. an Adult. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Great to have you on the show. How to Raise an Adult, Break Free of the Overparenting Trap, and Prepare Your Kids for Success. Just one day at a time. One day at a time. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, continue the discussion. We'll be uh, doing a little feature on Labor Day so you know what to celebrate this weekend. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
10: because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner
5: play ball.
4: play ball you know we when we bring on great guests like julie in the book how to raise an adult we don't want to induce guilt right that's that's not the goal but it is to just inform you uh, of what's happening out there and what the data and the research shows if you want your child to be an independent, healthy being, you have to become intentional in that process. Don't assume that just getting them to graduate from high school is the key to getting them to be a a dynamic, healthy, character-driven child, right? You gotta talk about character if you wanna grow character. You have to talk about uh, accountability and responsibility if you want that. If If you want trust and respect, from your child, then you have to talk about trust and respect. You can't expect to get something from your child that you're not putting into them in an intentional overt way. So just reevaluate, look at what you do every day and just say, great, what's one thing I can do to pick it up and make it even better? Maybe I could stop doing a few things as well, like homework, Maybe I could turn off the TV and spend a little more time helping them. Anyway, again, not to not to guilt you, not to make you feel overwhelmed, but just it's part of the game. It's part of the game. Now, with Labor Day coming up this uh, weekend uh, and Monday, it's we thought we'd get into giving you some tools around that as well. A lot of people around the office are looking forward to it, right? But uh, two, everyone, some don't even know what's going on. You probably have a nice barbecue planned, for example, a four-day weekend. But what is Labor Day actually celebrating? Our producer Leanna Tan is going to show us how Labor Day for many Americans might mean just moving their leisure time to their living rooms instead of their office. She'll teach us some ways that we can be more productive.
5: Hi-ho, hi-ho. it's home from work we go.
3: Growing up... I didn't really know what Labor Day was. I just thought it was a method of torture teachers used after making us get back into the school mode and then randomly surprising us with a day off so we went back into summer break mode but then dragging us back to school a day later. It made me very confused as a child. I used to think Labor Day was just a day to celebrate all those mothers who birthed their children. But actually, according to Wikipedia, it's the first Monday in September that celebrates and remembers the social and economic achievements of American workers. What better way to celebrate productivity and achievement than by doing nothing? ABC News came out with an article that said Americans work more than anyone in the industrialized world. That's really hard for me to believe. Maybe Americans clock in longer than anyone else, but how much of that time are they actually working? Hey,
8: it's my man Dave. Good morning. Hey, did you catch that game last night? Oh cow, what a touchdown, man. Oh, did he pay
3: An article called On the Clock, How Americans Waste Time at Work on more.com says that on average, Americans waste two hours a day at work. And that cost companies $759 billion in wages, for which they received no return on investment.
8: <laughs> Dave, you busy here? I gotta show you this YouTube video. Check it out, it's a cat that looks like a Pop-Tart.
3: And for the employees, That time that could be spent getting ahead on projects or acquiring new skills to work toward promotion is too often thrown away on shopping online, buying groceries, or talking to friends on the phone. (laughs)
8: That's great. Hey, we gotta
3: forward this to the whole office. Wow. I felt extremely guilty. I mean, do I even deserve a Labor Day holiday? Do any of us even deserve it? Okay, so I don't online shop or buy my groceries at work, but I think we're all guilty of wasting time. So, in my guilty conscience, I came up with five things that we can do to improve our work focus and performance so that we can spend our Labor Day actually celebrating our labor. Why? Set manageable goals. Before, my energy was all over the place. Now, it's concentrated like a laser beam. (laughs) Ask your boss or coworkers what else needs to be done they can probably think of many things that you could do or new skills that you could learn to be more valuable to the company. It's always more motivating to walk into work if you have a plan to stay on task. Don't open unrelated windows or your internet browser. You think you'll only spend a couple of minutes checking your other email, shopping online, or messaging on Facebook, but that couple of minutes suddenly becomes much more enticing than motivating yourself to find a work task to do. So resist the temptation to open those tabs and even try putting your phone on airplane mode. A study done by Gloria Mark from University of California says that it takes an average of 25 minutes to refocus after getting distracted. Just think, that's like an hour of time to refocus after just reading two texts. Use headphones. The workplace can be bustling, and there are many interesting conversations that can be tempting to join. I get it. Working all day sometimes means you don't have time to go home and catch the latest episode of The Bachelor. So you have to compensate by virtually living through your coworkers' love lives. And while coworker bonding is a vital part to a healthy workplace, starting the day off with a two-hour conversation about what dress they're gonna wear this weekend probably isn't necessary. Or get up and walk around.
2: That is an SUV. Humans ride around in it because they are slowly losing their ability to walk.
3: productive at work doesn't mean that you're glued to your computer every second of every day. Working does require you to creatively think and let your mind wander a little. If you try staring at your computer every moment, you'll realize that you're actually being less productive. I'm bored. Sometimes your body needs a change of scenery. Jack Grapple, a doctor in exercise physiology from Florida State University, says movement and exercise stimulate flow throughout the body, which leads to a brief period of hyperoxygenation in the brain. The phenomenon lasts only a minute or two, but the effects linger, increasing both energy and attentiveness, and that this helps physical fitness and intellectual performance. Fire! treat yourself
6: clothes treat yourself fragrances treat yourself massage treat yourself
3: Today i don't feel like doing anything sometimes your next paycheck just isn't motivating enough when you realize you can get paid the same amount to stare at a computer occasionally text a friend and chat with your coworkers as you can to actually work so give yourself incentive maybe you don't eat lunch until you finish an assignment or you plow through some emails before taking a walk outside whatever you do remember that work shouldn't have to be excruciating So this Labor Day, don't spend it wallowing in guilt of how you don't actually deserve the holiday. Just make some adjustments so you can be guilt-free next year. And if you really feel guilty after listening to this and feel that you just can't celebrate making any contribution to America's productivity and achievement, don't worry. You still can celebrate your mother, who went through a lot of labor to bring you into this world. Actually, I don't know if that makes you feel any less guilty. Well, happy Labor Day weekend. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side. Follow
3: Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
3: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend
4: Show.
3: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio.
4: Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, hour number three of the show. If you missed the first two hours, go to iTunes to tune in. Go
6: look up the BYU Radio app. And when you're there, rate the show. Give us five stars. Rate the show, for heaven's sakes. It'll help more people find the show. Yeah. I didn't, we ought to have everybody go rate the show. Yeah. And then give Matt a nice compliment in the comments. Yeah. Do that. Or not, whichever. It's a free country. Or give Terry one or yeah. Jeff,
10: Sadie. We're trying to get that A in the window that people can see as they walk by. Yeah, from the health department. <laughs> so, uh,
6: bacteria free.
10: So we're bacteria free.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Listeria free. Hey, we've got a great program for you today. We'll be talking movies with Rod Gustafson, of course, uh, because it's Friday, mm. and that's the day you go watch a movie. Theoretically, Labor Day weekend. Labor Day weekend. You might have a free day. You might have a free one, and you're also going to have sports. So we will be speaking with mm. BYU Sports Nation. That was good last night. Uh, I didn't get. I watched I
6: quite a bit of football
4: last night. Did you? Yeah. yeah, I was busy playing tennis, pulling muscles I did not know I had. But apparently I do. Well,
6: they're not there anymore. They're growing. Twitter even broadcast a game on their service. Really? Apparently the first college football game to be streamed on Twitter. Well, legally. (laughs) That's a big deal. So Twitter's getting into football. They're going to have NFL games later this year. Mm-hmm. Their idea is uh, you put up a sport that's the most popular thing on TV. You might get some eyeballs that don't use Twitter yeah, yeah. to watch your your service. Maybe they sign up. And you'll get everyone talking on Twitter, which is already happening. The presentation is interesting. On the left-hand side, you have the game on a, okay. on a little like YouTube-looking sort of window, so something you're probably familiar with. Right. And on the right-hand side, you have the stream of all the tweets that are associated with the game. Well, so you can it, watch But the if you're doing this on
4: your phone, this would be you probably wouldn't see the game cuz it would be so small.
6: Uh you'd have to look. Yeah.
4: Unless you've got a really big phone. Yeah.
6: On on my laptop it looked great. How fun. I mean the game was what it was, but we just yeah. turned that off. But it was a blowout by the time I got there. That uh but the neat thing is football starting. So you know for many, it will. This is the beginning of a really bad time in your marriage. Yeah, my wife's like, "What are you doing tonight? Uh, football?" She goes, "I don't know if that's the right answer." I go, it, it, "It's the right answer at least four days a week." Then she's like, uh, "I think we're doing the towel closet, the linen closet." <sighs> then I then then like the <laughs> the, the marital stress comes in. Yeah. yeah, don't stress out a pregnant woman. I go, stressed
4: moms make stressed children.
6: Do they? Apparently, oh okay. What, what what's going on? Uh, Jeff's asleep. Jeff fell asleep. Jeff gets bored when we talk about your baby.
10: Oh, f- no! It's football. Sorry. Really? Wow. Jeff I'm a baseball doesn't. guy. You know,
6: there are there's other countries you could live in. Just snoring and talking at the same time. And there's other places you could go. You could go <laughs> like to Brazil,
4: where they just have football.
6: Yeah, and then political corruption and impeaching their president. And, that's fine. Yeah, and that's Zika. always interesting.
10: I'll
6: take Hillary with me when she gets deported. <laughs>
10: If Trump has his way. <laughs> yeah. Or Julian Assange.
4: Hey, uh, we'll be getting to that as well. We'll be doing a little news dump where we give you all the stories that we haven't had a chance to get to. Oh, there's, there's news flesh. We flush them. <laughs> no, you saying it. Yeah. Yeah. We're just going to flush them. So it's different than a news dump. And uh, BYU Sports Nation will be joining us, plus the hero of the day, And some crazy stories, believe it or not. I mean, you probably can't believe it. Uh, When we come back from the news, we'll be talking about Lazy Mom's Day, all this stuff. Hmm. Today's the day that moms can just relax. And then back to work with you.
6: Back to the the minds, okay. (laughs) Back to the minds.
4: But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headline. Sadie, What's up?
7: A tropical storm left parts of Hawaii's Big Island soggy but intact Thursday as residents of the island state prepared for a second round of potentially volatile tropical weather. Hawaii Island was pummeled with heavy rains and powerful waves overnight, but residents woke to blue skies and little damage after Madeline skirted the island. Hurricane Lester remains on track to affect the islands this weekend and was upgraded to a Category 3 storm Thursday afternoon. After making landfall about 1:30 a.m. near St. Marks, Florida as hurricane category 1, Herm- storm Hermine was downgraded to a tropical depression early Friday morning. The storm is heading into the southern Georgia from the crook of the panhandle on Florida's Gulf Gulf Coast, moving toward the Carolinas at about 14 miles per hour. Hermine was the first hurricane to hit Florida since Wilma, a Category 3 storm that passed through in October 2005. There were projected to be storm surges as high as 12 feet, though CNN says in the report below that the swells uh, reached a still damaging 8 feet. So, pretty bad storm. And finally, a mistake on a wedding. RSVP card accidentally listed young children as one of the three entrees on the menu. A photo of the card shared to Reddit listed three menu options including pork, beef, and children 12 and under. Ooh. So someone said I'll have the the 10-year-old please medium rare. Joked about. The card also encouraged guests to inform the wedding party of any dietary restrictions despite the unintentionally cannibalistic nature of the entree choices.
2: (laughs) How do you want your kid? That's
7: funny. I'd like them wrapped
2: in a blanket, please. It's people. Silent <laughs> Green is people. <laughs> I guess you can't make a mistake. Uh, no. But
4: if
6: you can, at least make a joke. Well, he's lucky it. that, yeah, they're lucky that the feds didn't show up or something. Could be. Thank you, Sadie. Hmm. Maybe they hit a trigger warning or something. No
4: children were harmed on this show.
6: Yet. Yet. We still got the day an is, hour. The day
4: is still young. So, uh,. It is, folks, Lazy Mom's Day. Lazy Mom's Day. Pin Christmas
3: ornaments all over. Throw some tinsel on their head. Your kid's a Christmas tree. Got a fedora and a trench coat? Pin some jewelry inside. You're a jewel thief. Costume jewelry, mama's ugly scarves, tambourines. You're a gypsy. (laughs) Halloween tips. Did you forget to buy candy again this
11: year? give the kids your spare
4: change or IOU yeah you're a gypsy now see this is this is a mom trying to get through Halloween without much work but Jeff it's only September
10: well the Halloween stuff and candy has already been in the stores for months Matt it's your favorite it's your favorite holiday if I'm correct well, I had a little preview of Halloween yesterday. I went to Comic Con. Oh yeah, a little How did bag that go? and went trick or treating. Did, did you survive? Barely. Is I think I, we're going to talk more about it on Monday, but barely. It, uh, no, Tuesday. It's Tuesday. a little
4: strange. It's a little strange. People dressed up like every character that you can imagine from Marvel Comics.
10: Yeah, there were things I haven't seen in my nightmares there. Wow. Really things that Charles Charles Schultz would be embarrassed to see what people have done to his beloved Peanuts characters.
6: Right. Wow. Man, we'll be posting photos on Tuesday. Poor Pigpen. Ah, oh, that kid. Yeah, he's had a tough life.
4: Yeah, always, had, gets worse that, at always had that little
6: dust ball following
4: him. <laughs> he always had that. Hey, speaking of a little bit of the, the taste, the flavor of the scary Halloween, University of Connecticut loses track of fifteen skulls, fifteen of them.
6: You know, like it's a common mistake.
4: Yeah, fifteen human skulls and an entire human skeleton are among more than the hundred items that have been reported missing from the University of Connecticut Health Center.
5: Not a good time to lose one's head,
2: oh, indeed.
5: <laughs> That's not the way to get ahead in life. No, <laughs> it's a shame he wasn't more headstrong.
6: Yeah. There's a lot of
4: those. He'll
5: never be the head
2: of a major corporation.
6: Okay, that'll wow. do.
4: <laughs> okay, that'll do. Okay, that, that'll do. The, um, what do you do when a university loses 15 skulls and a, a, a skeleton? You just, you know, you send an investigator out, right? And then you got you to tell a few jokes. For example... What do skeletons say, Terry, before they begin dining? I, I don't know.
10: Bon appetit. Oh, of course. <laughs> that was a little delayed laughter. I
4: know. It, was, it, it takes, took a while to get it. They were processing. Uh, what, type of, um, what type of art do skeletons like, Terry? I have no idea. Sculptures. Oh, oh, oh Wow. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sensing. Uh what did the skeleton say while riding his Harley Davidson? Just tell me. I'm bone to be wild. I'm bone to be wild. <laughs> <laughs> one more, I got one more. I'll oh, okay, good, good. More. Just one, just one. Just ah oh, jeez. Um <sighs> Who is the most famous French skeleton? Tell me. Napoleon
5: Bonaparte. There you
4: go. I'll do one more. Oh, okay. Uh, what instrument do skeletons play? A trombone? Yeah. Okay. It's not as funny when you do it. Yeah, I know. That
10: was courtesy laughter yeah. on that one.
4: Anyway, University of Connecticut are looking for 15 skulls. If you happen to come across a skull uh, or a, a full skeleton just give him a call
6: 1-800 bones and skulls rs.com forward slash that's a different the skull and bone society that's a different thing yeah
4: it's different because it's the op it was bones and skulls yeah not skull and bone yeah different 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 so um <laughs> that's funny yeah it's super funny.
6: those, those were bad jokes go on <clears throat> it's also bring your manners to work day folks was to, it rude for me to point out how was, bad those jokes were
4: well yeah they're not bad they were hilarious okay you just probably didn't get them here's some manners tips for you ready
5: yeah the a second i'll put my jacket on here oh excuse me i'll get it excuse me jack's good manners are showing again jack connor speaking it's helpful to give your name when you answer well, Mr. Moore, I'm, I'm sorry. My father just left for the plant a few minutes ago. May I take a message? Ask him to call me when he comes in tonight. Yes, I will. Thank you very much. I'll tell him. All right, sir. Goodbye. You can be direct and brief on the phone. Say what you have to say and then stop. For on the phone, too, your manners are showing. Excuse
10: me. I- excuse me, sir. Oh.
4: My father's not able to come to the phone now, sir. Your manners are showing. Remember that, Terry. Whatever you do, whenever you do it, how you do it, your manners are
6: always showing. <laughs> those videos are fun to watch.
4: They're fun to watch. In fact, I've just decided...
6: You, uh, you sat in your office for a little bit yesterday watching those videos. I, was, I watched them all. <laughs> and I learned a lot about
4: jokes about skeletons, and mm-hmm. I learned a lot of uh, information about manners. It's kind of telling. Thank you. Shows a lot you can, of your character. And my manners are showing. Apparently. the uh, I, I've just made a little decision that we need to do a lot of those so that we can... Because there the, these there's a lot of those that we can... There's a lot of manners tips that I don't think the youth are getting. Hmm. So we're going to put together quite a few of these little learning moments. <laughs> and, you know, Jack was a... He's a good boy. He's Jack's a good boy. a good boy.
6: His manners are showing. And, yes. got to love Jack.
4: So... Any other headlines we need to worry about? And then uh, we'll take a break
6: and visit our good buddy, uh, Rod Gustafson. This happens every once in a while. You hear about a 12-year-old going to college. Yeah. And you question whether that's really the best thing for a 12-year-old to be doing. Doesn't seem smart. Seems like maybe they need to be a kid and not be in college at sure. 12. Don't, they don't need to be joining a fraternity at 12. Well, they don't really participate in college life. They go to class. And then they, you know, mom comes and picks them up from school and they go home <laughs> Yeah, and they're in a class with a bunch of, you know, and they're for that kid, they're adults, even if they're still just college kids, they're adults right. they well, you know, way older than they are. And it doesn't seem like a good, maybe a social situation for a 12 year old, but regardless, Jeremy Shuler, a homeschooled kid from Grand Prairie, Grand Prairie, Texas, who was officially Cornell's youngest student on record. 12-year-old, might sound mighty young for college. Jeremy's parents, both aerospace engineers, said he was actually intellectually ready for college. At the ripe age of 10, they said he could have gone, but they held back. It says from the beginning, he was physically advanced, very strong. When he was just 15 months old, he already knew the alphabet. Wow. Uh, By the time he was 21 months old, he was reading books in English and Korean on his own. (laughs) By age... I think his mother's Korean. By age six, he moved... um, On to calculus. Man. And he just kind of went on from there. And so they say it's pretty exciting. Jeremy's parents moved up to Ithaca, New York with him for college. And Jeremy is settling in well, though he said the classes are kind of easy so far.
5: I am smart. SMRT. I mean, S-M-A-R-T.
6: That's our response to that. Another super smart kid who's going to graduate college at 15.
5: Oh, those kids,
6: or be earlier, crazy. because apparently it's too easy for him. What a talent! That's pretty right? fascinating. I mean, think about
4: what you were doing at six or eight or 10 or yeah, 12. Not that,
6: SMRT. That was probably me. Look at my oh, SAT man. scores.
4: Yeah, but is he normal socially like me? <laughs> Some people say that I know who cares, you know? He's if he's not normally social normal socially, he's probably not going to be. Right. Anyway. Yeah. But he's he'll be done with school at 15, <laughs> unless he wants to be a doctor then he'll be done at 19, 20. Right. Boy. That's cool.
6: Yeah, I mean the kids kids smart and he's not he, he apparently he's not challenged by high school. Right. Is there any difference with that and like Kobe Bryant going to the pros at 18 or whatever, 17? Probably. There's probably a lot, a lot of difference. He's living with his parents. And Kobe wasn't. Yeah, but he's also yeah. He's
4: it's just it's just an advancement of this guy's a paying skill set. for school.
6: Kobe Bryant was being paid to play basketball. Yeah,
4: in Los Angeles. Right, but Kobe couldn't. Kobe's nowhere near this guy's intellect.
6: No, but this guy's nowhere near Kobe Bryant's bank account. Yet. Yet you're right.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, he's probably on track to make a lot more. lot more, I'm telling you. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be talking movies with Rod Gustafson at parentpreviews.com, figuring out what's the latest and greatest release, and uh, you as a parent, what movies you might and might not want to have your kids attend. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
2: Jane McDonald was an upstanding law-abiding citizen with a 757 credit score, an affinity for opera, and no history of violence. Then one day, something changed all that forever. He had never broken a rule in his life. Now he's breaking into prison. But in order to break into the most secure prison in the world, He'll have to remember that a successful break-in depends on three things. Knowing the layout,
5: understanding the routine, and help from outside in. Put your hands in the air now! Showtime.
2: Since he doesn't own a gun, he'll have to rely on his brains, You don't look that smart. and brawn.
5: I need a diversion. Okay. <laughs> you hit like a vegetarian.
2: That was good. What's it? If you thought breaking out was hard, try breaking in. Break in. The guy who broke into prison.
4: Welcome back everybody to the Matt Townsend show. Uh, Rod Gustafson joins us, and Rod is the, uh, what do we call you? Critic, film critic specializing in sure. movies. I was going to say the guru of uh, the film Breakdown. <laughs> like a. Well, like, I. I...
9: Like a sports caster. I've had a few caster. breakdowns. Yeah. So, yeah. A few <laughs> breakdowns so that's probably accurate.
4: You have. Nobody has a better breakdown than Rod Gustafson. Parentpreviews.com is the name of the website. It's a wonderful site uh, where Rod and his people go and they review and evaluate movies and media from a parent's perspective, um, which Rod is a great – it really is a great skill. Because as a Ooh, dad, yeah. I need to know what my – you know, what, what's out there in the movie theaters before my kids just go.
9: And you know what's interesting, Matt? I meet a lot of adults that <laughs> they use it for themselves. Sometimes they're a little hesitant to admit it, and then they'll say, but, you know, I really like it, too. Yeah. So yeah. Let's face it, a lot more people are concerned about this than what Hollywood wants to admit. No, absolutely. In fact, it seems like there's a
4: disconnect sometimes between Hollywood and the rest of the country anyway. So uh, it's, if we finally need somebody to review Hollywood for us, and, and do it kind of in a in a neutral way. Rod, talk to us about the movies coming out uh, this weekend.
9: Well, uh, this weekend, really the big one that we're going to have that's going to be of interest to family audiences is a romance, and it's called "The Light Between Oceans." Now, the first thing I have to tell you, Matt, is I am so happy action movie season is over. <laughs> like, it's not like I hate action movies, but. As I sat down and watched this this film that takes place on a deserted little island a hundred miles off the coast of Australia, and it's all this beautiful scenery. And I thought, Oh, this feels good. And then the next thing I thought was, Don't fall asleep, don't fall asleep. And that's <laughs> that's one of the problems with the light between oceans. This is a this is a slow moving movie. And And if you've gone to see a lot of action films this summer, you may find the contrast to be a little bit too much.
4: Oh, interesting. I I haven't thought that there's just the movement of the shows from action to just a little love story. It might leave you wanting more action. That seems weird. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave this a 61%. Yeah,
9: yeah. And, you know, we did we we gave it a B grade, which. I don't know percentage wise it's probably more like around 70 maybe you know 75 and mm-hmm. trying to remember how that scale works uh, what the movie is about is it's about a woman who marries a man and it's the end of world war one. And he is allowed lighthouse keeper on this deserted Island. I was just mentioning. And uh, this guy has an impeccable wartime record. Just surviving world war one was, was a big enough, uh, uh, a big enough thing to have had happened in your life. I'm trying to think of the magic word for that, yeah. but he also, he is very obedient and, and, and so he's the perfect guy to be working all by himself on this, on this little Island. Anyway, they get married and, They have this wonderful life where the two of them, all he has to do is light the light, it seems. He doesn't do a whole lot of work. She tends to the garden and a few chickens. And then in their off time, they do spend a fair amount of time on what they call their favorite hobby, which is trying to bring a baby to the island. And so that does create some sexual content. Nothing too serious, but we do have a couple of scenes with some heavy breathing and mm. and, uh, and not explicit nudity, but we certainly know what's going on. So parents, a heads up on that. Um, but then what happens is she ha- she gets pregnant, has a miscarriage, gets pregnant again, has another miscarriage. Mm. Well, now she is really falling into a depression, and uh, and the wind constantly blows in this island, and the storms are raging and everything else. And psychologically, they they had already made a big deal of how many men had tried to work there and couldn't because of the isolation. Well, now she is succumbing to that. So she prays for a miracle, and right about the same time, he spots, his name is Tom, spots a boat just off the shore. So the two of them drag it in, and there is a baby in this boat along with a dead man. And so she, of course, feels like this is her miracle from God. He says, no, I need to report this right now. She begs him not to. And so there comes the choice that was made. He decides to be sympathetic to his wife and to keep the baby. Well, of course, guess what? The years go by. And it's a small community where, you know, that's the closest community. And he discovers and so does she. They discover that the mother is still alive and she is just heartbroken because she's lost her husband and her child. Oh wow! So now what do you do? So that's the big ethical debate that comes up in this movie. Unbelievable. Wow. And, and a little slower
4: moving, but it seems pretty deep in uh, in thinking you need to you really need to
9: think it through. Well, you know, in all honesty, I didn't really find it to be that slow because actually, I really love movies about these interpersonal situations Mm. that present. Ethical Debates and Shades of Grey. And uh, if you like that kind of movie, I think you'll be very satisfied with The Light Between Oceans. Now, as I I mentioned, the the sexual content, that really is the only substantial content that's going to be of concern. At the same time, though, you probably have to pay most teens to come and see this movie. And it does star, by the way, it stars Michael Fassbender and Alicia Vikander. And the two of them wound up there still together. They met each other making this movie and they have a real world romance as well. So I think that will probably add a little bit more attraction to this film. Man, interesting. It's, I love that. And I
4: this could even bring up uh, some interesting topics for your adult, your adult children as well.
9: Oh, yes. It Great really discussion. does. About these choices that we make. And, you know, was it the best decision to try and protect his wife? And, and of course, that. That was a very bad decision in my, you know, yeah. in my opinion, I always, I'm one of those people where you tell the truth, you got to do what you got to do. And you take your lumps because if you don't take them now, they come with interest later. That's so and that's true. exactly what happened. Well, Rod, great
4: stuff. Again, another great review from parentpreviews.com. Everybody go check out the website, parentpreviews.com. You can see uh, the, uh, the review on light between oceans, but also every other review they've ever done. Plus their talking points, just wonderful insight. Rod, thanks so much again. Thank you, Matt. Have a great weekend. We'll take a break and come back. When we come back, we'll do a little little news flush for you, try to figure out some of the stories that uh, we haven't been able to get out to you, and maybe there's a reason. Stick with us. The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. friends to the matt townsend show hey as uh we are constantly reviewing news stories terry and i just keep accumulating more and more stories Then many times because there's always news tomorrow we never get to go back through our list to get rid of some of these stories so we call it news flush where we give you the latest and greatest story and then we just flush it it's just done it's done flushed my first story why are male soccer players wearing sports bras
6: More support?
4: They're actually not wearing a sports bra. They're wearing a GPS tracker and a health tracker. And Mm -hmm. so now the coaches on the sidelines can see how much uh, their speed of their players, the distance covered, and the overall wear and tear of the athletes. So they now know when is the best time to replace and trade in and out their athletes. When do we trade up for a newer model? It's like, this guy's just not getting the, uh, the
6: The the chest monitor is the more accurate monitor versus the one that you commonly see on the wrist. Yeah, the wrist
4: monitor, like with a Fitbit. But now they – they but somebody's like, why are they wearing a sports bra? Which also made famous in girls' soccer uh, when the
10: U.S. won that award. The World they, Cup, everybody yeah. Into the- I believe it's called a bro or a man's ear. Yes, that would be the more.
4: Except except these are actually man GPSs. Device tracking, fitness
6: tracking. Flush that. Moving on. (laughs) uh, Smells play a large evolutionary part in picking potential mates. The smell of somebody. Our noses know how to diversify our gene pools when fertility is at, at its height. Ah. As the story goes on. It says researchers set out to find which foods rich in carotenoids, which I guess is what helps. It says a pigment shown to increase skin tone and attractiveness also give body odor a boost. Really? They studied male sweat samples with female sniff testing for... Uh, Intensity and qualitative attributes. The results are published in the Evolution of Human Behavior, which you subscribe to, Matt. Yes, I do. Uh, it says men who ate a variation of fruits and vegetables as well as a reasonable amount of fat, meat, egg, and tofu smelled better than those who ate a lot of carbs. Really? The low-carb diet produces a floral, fruity, sweet, and medicinal su- uh, sweat, while <laughs> higher carbohydrate intake results in a stronger, less pleasant body odor. That's funny, because I so eat sweat more, Twinkies. Eat more salads, less bread.
4: Oh, you smell like Thousand Island dressing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Is that blue cheese? That's okay. kind of gross that people are even smelling each other. So men eat salads, you'll yeah. smell better. If you want a date, eat some kale. Uh, Austria jails a man who posted a cat making the Hitler salute. Hmm. Yes, yeah. that's, that's odd. An Austrian man has reportedly been jailed for posting Nazi propaganda online, including a photo of a cat making a Hitler salute. <laughs> the 38-year-old from the skiing village of Flauschua, Salzburg, that's, near Salzburg. That's probably accurate. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that was a Spanish <laughs> version. <laughs> uh, found guilty of posting around 20 Nazi propaganda photos online, according um, for the website. Uh, I'm not going to name the website because... <laughs> I would just destroy the language.
10: So, when does the cat calendar come out? Well, see, this is funny because uh, in the United States, I guess
4: everywhere. There's cat photos, cat calendars everywhere, Mm -hmm. putting cat in fireman outfits, police outfits, all these different things. But apparently, if your cat has a mustache like Adolf Hitler, you're not allowed to do the Hitler salute. (laughs) And by the way, thank heavens for that. Yeah, there's a standard. (laughs) But he did go to jail, for heaven's sake. So be grateful that if you're a cat lover and you like dressing up cats, be grateful you don't live in Austria.
6: Did you ever have a Walkman growing up? Yes, I did. Did you just say Walkman? A Walkman. Mm-hmm. A Walkman. A Sony Walkman. I did. I, did. I had a great. It's life. not a Walkman. It's whatever way you want to say it. Yeah. It's man, the proper man. way to say it. Walkman. Says Walkman. who? Uh, Senor Walkman. So uh, you had one. I did. How much would you pay for one now? Nothing. Nothing. I had one. I don't. You don't I want a Walkman at all. Done that. Sony's introduced a new Walkman. It costs three thousand two hundred dollars at a uh, technology show in Berlin. Yeah. Sony is out of its mind saying many stories reporting on this. It's meant to appeal to a super serious audiophiles. Those are people that care about sound. Right, right, yeah. The Walkman is made out of gold-plated copper to reduce magnetic interference and resistance. It also separates its analog and digital circuitry and includes a dual clock circuit with low phase noise quartz oscillator. And if any of that makes sense to you, you might be the target customer. (laughs) This is for you.
10: You know, I just paid a few thou for a tape deck, but I got a car with it. Yeah. So I think this is different. Yeah. This is like
6: one you can just put in your back pocket. Well, if you had jeans from the seventies. It's as, it's as, as bulky as the original iPod. Has a four-inch touchscreen. It has 256 gigabytes of storage, mm. and it looks like a Walkman from the eighties. So really, if you want that, it's available for three thousand dollars. Not interesting. (laughs) According to CNN, there's uh, there's long
4: evidence that there are certain times of year that are popular for divorce, but passive-aggressive Facebook drama isn't exactly quantifiable data. Mm. So a new study from the University of Washington has provided some actual numbers. Researchers from the university plotted the number of divorce filings in Washington between 2001 and 2015. The results show two very specific yearly peaks. In March and August are the two times – most likely to go for divorce. So if you are having marital troubles, I would really pick up your game in the March and August months so as not to
6: drive your marriage to divorce. Interesting. What's going on at those times of the year? Um, Taxes. March is March Madness. March might be taxes.
4: It's also (laughs) March Madness where the wife is like, I've had it. And I guess spring football starts in August, right? So it's probably that. No, it, it might have more to do with three months after the new year. Could be because a lot of people would start going through their divorce work uh-huh. in January, right? Right, and then maybe terminated in in March, or it also might be uh, summer months are a little harder on marriages because a lot of family kids are home.
6: Okay, marriages
4: okay. are struggling. That's you just went on a family vacation, right? And that's where you realize you're. Spouse is kind of a jerk.
6: Flush it. You interviewed Pluto. Yes, Mo the, Pluto, yeah, Mo Pluto, the dwarf planet about an asteroid. Yeah, he got mad. There was another asteroid. <gasps> what? That now we the the one you were talking about was one that may hit us at some point down the road. Down right, the road, right. Not this one passed the Earth on Sunday. Hmm. It uh, came within fifty thousand miles of the Earth. the The scary part is that no one knew it was coming. No one had. No one saw it. Hold no on. One, it passed us by how close? Fifty thousand miles. I guess that's that's close. I guess. When it comes to planetary objects, yeah, apparently that's really close. Um, a, a Brazilian observatory happened to catch it as it flew by. It was really? a smaller one, between twenty-five and fifty-five meters in length, I guess. Yeah. But if it would have hit the Earth, that would have been a big impact
5: but it would have caused some problems absolutely um
6: and no one saw it until it was right on right on the planet basically it was just passing by and they saw it and so there's all these objects flying through the solar system that we're worried about right there's also equally as many that we have no idea are there until and they right there on top of the, us yeah it's like well it's like the guy in your 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 blind side as you're driving the car yeah, yeah you, he's yeah. in your blind so they're asteroids my blind spot asteroids in the earth's blind spot we got to get that wall up. This is get why Mo Pluto wants to
10: get keep the bad ones out. Yeah, either let that, the good ones build in. Build the
6: wall around the or world. Get to work on the planetary defense system. Either one. No, it's the wall. Really? Yeah. All
4: right. Maurice Pluto wants to build a wall around the Earth to keep
6: all the bad out. All the bad. I don't know what we call them. Aliens? Interesting objects. objects. Interesting nugget to wipe out all of humanity, an asteroid would have to be about 0.6 miles wide. Holy cow. Yeah. Scientists have Half identified... a mile wide? Yeah. Scientists have identified 95% of these doomsday space rocks, but that leaves us with the possibility that there's just one really big one out there with our name on it. I think everybody ought to stay
4: faithful. Go to church to <laughs> Sunday. Just because it's an extended holiday doesn't mean you don't go to church. Go to church. Okay, interesting stuff. The flush is over. Let's get to the real news. Our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, they'll be up next. I'm sure they're just chomping at the bit, getting ready for BYU's game tomorrow. Stick with us. We'll be right back with BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Some exciting music as we uh, head it down to BYU Sports Nation. Tomorrow they're playing, BYU's playing Arizona. And who better to uh, walk us through some of the, uh, the pre-pre-pre-pre-game show. Our good buddies, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Oh, oh, oh yes, the game <laughs> you guys are excited. That's exciting. Wow. You sounded like a sorority. Uh, we sounded, uh, so you say There are no we...
12: such
8: things at Brigham.
12: I know. Yeah. yeah. T- today, you... by the way, is the three-year anniversary of the show.
8: Is it really? Three yeah. years yeah. ago today, we <laughs> began something that we had no idea. U.S. No. Radio took its biggest risk ever. Would become this.
4: You know what? And <laughs> it seemed like it was like six years ago. That's how good you
8: are. Oh, I was going to say, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's
4: a really good thing. It's such a, I mean, really, it's turned into a, a, we all knew it would happen, but it's a great show. Great. Thank you. Wonderful, good looking talent. Rugged.
12: (laughs) Ridiculously good looking. Ridiculously
4: good looking. (laughs) Huge. Hey, um, you guys haven't seen any skulls or skeletons, have you?
12: Uh, in Jerem's closet, kind of a, plenty Kind of a personal question, but <laughs> yeah, uh, no, not recently
4: <laughs> Because the University of Connecticut has lost uh, 15 human skulls and a, an entire skeleton So, just wow. just be on the lookout for it UConn I,
8: to the Big 12 I, I think, this, yeah. yeah, that'll that'll factor in <laughs> They also held off the fighting main university, whatever their mascot is, last night by a touchdown
4: See, but see, I think,
12: I should
8: they, should they be, be in the,
4: Big, the Big, 12 Big 12 if they can't keep their skulls and yeah. skeletons straight?
8: Yep
12: you know what I, I, mean? I think that's important. I'm yeah, just bringing that's it up.
4: Just shooting the truth. <laughs> hey, uh, what's uh, what? Are you guys like chomping at the bit? Are you are you scared for tomorrow? What are you I'd, feeling? I'd say, I'm say of, no, I ain't scared. I'm not scared. We are giddy. Are you giddy?
12: We're, we're, listen, all you okay. Let's talk about something for a second. Let's talk. Let's talk seriously. Two hundred thirty-three days ago, <laughs> we started this dumb countdown. Yeah. <laughs> And here we are, finally, going to end it, okay?
2: Right.
4: Finally.
12: We're going to end it. And, and we do the countdown because there's no games. Yeah. So when we stop doing the countdown, that means there's games. And it's amazing. BYU Sports <sighs> Nation is built on the premise of BYU Sports, namely football. mm Mm. And so here we are. It's such a glorious day. I mean, if it's such anything. an amazing day. We we are gonna we're gonna fire off some party poppers on the set today. Like five of them. Wow!
8: Make sure they it's turn the be mics quite down. The
12: event. Yeah. We're going to sit in garbage for an hour. This is
8: the week of confetti for me. There was so much confetti at the Coldplay concert, and now there's going to be confetti all over studio. You know what? Forget the football. it's all
12: yellow!
4: But forget the football. I'm just so glad the countdown's over with. (laughs) (laughs) That makes
8: three of us That can't. Are you more
12: excited or relieved? Uh, Relieved that the countdown's (laughs) over, but also excited, yes.
4: This is is going to be a big day. Now, just so you know, I don't know if you guys... I don't know if you had time to check in on the show, but uh, Lazy Mom's Day is today. Today's the day that moms should just kick back, relax. Guys do everything, okay? Uh, Husbands, step up. Moms, just relax.
8: Lazy mom's day. Lazy
4: mom's day. So what are you guys going to do for your wives tonight to make their lazy day fulfilled?
8: Let's see. I'm going to work super hard calling a soccer game, so she has to still take care of the kids.
4: Okay, so she'll (laughs) still have to—she won't have a lazy day then. Okay. But tomorrow— I'm sure she'll have her lazy uh, day. Uh,
12: yeah. Yeah, tomorrow uh, yeah, when, man. when Spencer's here at 4 o'clock, we're counting on <laughs>
8: the <to> kickoff. <laughs> and get home at midnight on a Saturday. Okay,
4: yeah. So your wife's pretty much never going to get her day.
8: <laughs> we're going to have to postpone that one until Sunday probably. Yeah.
4: Sunday's the day of laziness, of rest.
8: Day of worldly laziness. Jerem,
4: are you, is your wife going to get a lazy day or? Sure,
12: she can have a lazy life. Like, yeah. It, whatever she wants. Yeah, But
4: you're going to facilitate it, right?
12: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, well, I'm here. Yeah. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm here, and I'll come home and help her the best I can. You know?
4: Yeah. Okay. So she won't either. Uh, then <laughs> <laughs> she won't. We're
12: hanging yet. out tonight. Uh, Spencer. Spencer's a man of his word. He calls soccer tonight, and we have a fantastic crew set up for the tenth-ranked women's soccer team on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Mm-hmm. 9 I will, however, be at dinner at that moment. Um, well, so I'll be watching it on my phone, maybe.
8: See. Okay. That's. You good. don't have to watch it on your phone. I'll you actually don't. be down the street.
4: Just maybe record it. You can watch it later.
8: You can do that as well.
4: Okay, so let's get to the real thing. What are you guys eating for tomorrow's game?
8: Ooh, what is on the menu tomorrow, Jerem?
4: You're going to want something spicy.
8: A touch of downs uh,
12: (laughs) and a field of goals. Excuse me, is that Grey (laughs) Poupon?
4: A touch of downs and a field of goals.
12: (laughs) As we walk through fields of goals... (laughs) Okay. I
4: love sting man. Don't, don't sing. Sting. <laughs>
8: yeah. Don't don't sting me.
4: Don't 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 sting me. Hey, what's on your show? You're still gonna do oh, your show it's though.
12: It's so loaded. It's so loaded. What is it? What'd culmination of countdown to Kickoff, We're gonna just go crazy. Are you gonna shoot like, it
4: in the head? Are you gonna shoot the head the you got are you gonna put it out of its misery, the countdown? Like Yeah, today's just the last dest- day. No, but destroy we, until January. it. Like we, blow it up.
8: Yes,
12: with confetti cans. Yeah, with confetti. <laughs> okay. We're dead serious.
4: All right, good. No, but like, really
12: Three-year anniversary, very excited, 3 guests a day. We have Joe Davis. He's mm. a play-by-play for Fox Sports. He also does Dodgers games. Uh, he's going to join us. Uh, he's a play-by-play for BYU Arizona cool. tomorrow night. And then uh, Arizona's radio analyst. Lamont Lovett. He's going to tell us just how bad the defense is for Arizona.
8: And there is one young lady who was dubbed the NCAA Soccer Player of the Week. Her name is Ashley Hatch after a Hatch trick against the defending <laughs> national champion Penn State Nittany Lions. Loaded. She's Low, in dude. studio B. This is an amazing 3-year happy birthday to us.
12: <laughs> Have we told you about day 1 of the show? No. So BYU lost to Virginia, which was oh. extremely Yeah, that was on the road. And then the game that that lasted, lasted seven hours. That was on Saturday, delayed after the first quarter. And then, and then these two young buckaroos did. Uh, we were. I was in my twenties when we first started the
8: show. By yeah, the way, how about that? And you now, have and aged. And now I'm thirty nine. Yeah. Yeah. You look horrible. Darren <laughs> feels like he's thirty nine. You, <laughs> you look like after three years of dealing with me. That's yeah. right. So, that I didn't so realize we you
4: were you were in your twenties.
8: I was in my twenties.
4: That was just three years ago. <laughs> that was just three years ago. So and now you're you thirty nine.
12: Pretty good estimate of how old I am.
4: Well, you're killing it, and so happy anniversary to you both.
8: Thank you. Thank you very much. Very and
4: uh, I'm excited to see the poppers or whatever you're calling them go off. That'll be fun. Make sure it's, you wear eye protection.
8: It's a spectacle.
4: Put on your blue goggles when you, wear, Ooh, when you blow yeah, those.
8: we should have the blue goggles on when we shoot the confetti's confetti's those Yeah, it's all uh, fun oh and yeah. games. Yeah. Hey, yes. hey, safety
12: first. Safety first, There's always. That's
4: that's our motto. Okay, guys, I know you got to go get waxed and ready, stretch out, get your makeup on, mm-hmm. knock them dead. We're we uh, we're all behind you on your third uh, year anniversary.
12: Thanks, Maddie. Have a great one. Woo!
4: Go Cougs. Yeah. Happy Memorial Day too, by the way. That's cool. Three year anniversary. You got to love that. It's hard to do a show every day, and they do. You know, if I if I were if I am sick, I just don't show and we play a replay or something but they have to be here every day of their life <sighs> anyway BYU game that's a big deal tomorrow again as we've been doing through the show we we are trying to celebrate the importance of manners because today is bring your manners to work day you can always see your manners folks hey I can see your manners showing so we wanted to give you one last taste of manners advice for the holiday
2: oh Jack do you think I could borrow that portable radio of yours for the picnic
5: tomorrow, please? Asking to borrow things politely, not demanding them. All right. And sharing things when you can are more signs of good manners.
10: You, you can always ask politely. I've got to find somebody first that has a portable radio still, though. <laughs> Terry just bought one for
4: $3,000. So just ask Terry for his. And then she said, please, can I borrow it, please? She was very nice. Very nice. Hey, also, um, some people just love their Cheetos. And I'm a man that has been known
10: historically to throw back a few Cheetos. That sounded more like a chip than a Cheeto. They make a crunch. They do. More, more so if you get the regular instead of the puffy kind. The puffy? Stick to my teeth. I love the puffy. Puffy. Because the first top layer, there's hardly any cheese on it, and then the bottom half of the bag is just, like, drowning in the cheese. Really? Somebody send in a lifeguard. <laughs> Do mouth-to-mouth on that puffy Cheeto. In St. Louis, a
4: gas station clerk uh, manager was able to stop a 33-year-old Joshua Crook, by the way, his name was Crook, 33-year-old Joshua Crook from taking a bag of flaming Hot Cheetos. He attempted to light the gas station on fire. Listen to this guy. They were playing this music. The guy didn't get his Cheetos, so he ran out of the store. The the manager told the cops about five o'clock on Sunday and then poured gasoline, used the used the gas, uh, the gas, what do they call it? The gas nozzle and sprayed gas on the ground, then took a cigarette and tried to light the gas all because he couldn't get his flamin' hot cheetos crazy folks crook by the way has been now charged with first degree arson third degree assault theft of less than $500 and first degree trespassing they were able to put the fire out though all for flamin' hot cheetos <laughs> put that in a commercial flamin' hot cheetos So hot, you'll want to burn this door down. Yeah, let's not do that. Hey, last story of the day, the hero story. We really love our heroes on the show. And this New Jersey transit cop, you may have seen this story. We will post it on our Twitter page at Dr. Matt Show. This is a guy that jumped onto the tracks to rescue a man as a train was heading towards him. A veteran New Jersey Transit cop is being praised now for putting his life on the line. Listen to this. The New Jersey Transit Police Officer Victor Ortiz usually works the overnight shift ending at 7 a.m., but he happened to be working overtime that day. About 7.25, Ortiz, 41, responded to a call of a man that needed to be escorted off the train. But when Ortiz arrived on the scene, the man reacted. The guy turns around and says, Hey, why did you call the police? Ortiz told ABC News, I told the gentleman, Sir, we're just here. Let's have a seat. We just wanted to talk to you. We'll figure out what the problem is and we'll get you on your way. The guy then says, I'm not going to jail, jumps off the platform onto the track and uh, that's where it all got crazy. Ortez uh, contacted the dispatcher to stop the the train from coming in but uh, walked along the platform in the same direction. Eventually, the man says, I'm not going to jail. He runs out more toward the tracks. Ortiz jumps down onto the track himself And uh, as they were running over the tracks, they tripped, and the guy fell down. Ortiz ran over, handcuffed the the guy, and then he's yelling, I'm not going to die, I don't want to die, and Ortiz pulls him off the tracks, all on the video, right before the train pulls in. Are you kidding me? So he is a hero of the day. I mean, these guys aren't making enough money to risk their lives, are they really? But they're here to protect, and that's exactly what he did. So, Victor Ortiz, you are... uh, You are the hero of the day on The Matt Townsend Show. Again, it doesn't take giving up your life, risking your life even, to be a hero. Sometimes the best heroes we've got are the ones that just give their time, their attention, their focus. That's why we do the show. And if you missed any of our segments this week, go to byuradio.org. You can look them up or iTunes, tune in. They're all there. Until next Tuesday, we're not going to talk to you. But have a great Memorial Day. Take care of each other. And remember how blessed you are to be in such a wonderful country. And this is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back tomorrow, or we'll be back Tuesday. Take care, everybody.